Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, podcast? It's Corey from Best Served. This podcast is a clubhouse recording from the Food is Religion room hosted in the Foodie Nerds HQ club called the Food TV Network Giants are back. This chat allowed many people across the industry to tell your food story with bullet points to TV execs from Hell's Kitchen, MasterChef, Food Paradise, Kitchen Nightmare, Food Networks, Chopped, so that they could help hone in your story. This conversation attracted well over a thousand listeners and contained great tidbits on how to tell your best story. Hope you enjoy. HQ, the biggest hospitality club on Clubhouse. A huge thanks to Chef Ciara for hosting us today. So please give her or her club a follow by clicking on the greenhouse up top. A reminder that the room tonight will be recorded and will be available on Best Served Podcast Anchor page, as well as all other major podcast platforms from tomorrow, which is Wednesday the 28th of April at 2 p.m. EDT. The Anchor page link is available on Chef Jensen's, which is at Jensen Cummings Clubhouse bio. So do give them a follow when you can. Tonight's format will consist of speakers giving 30 second intros about themselves, which they will then receive feedback from our TV executives, providing value for the speaker and the listeners too. So when you come on stage, you can either tell us about yourself or ask a question, either or, but you have 30 seconds to do it. The rest of the audience will listen to the fly on the wall behind the scenes, real life stories from the TV execs and learn from what they share with the audience on stage. I'm Chef Rahan and today with Chef Mimi, my partner for Food is Religion, we've been working on this spectacular room for a while now and I couldn't have done this without Chef Mimi who did the lion's share of the work in getting the room together. Over to Chef Mimi to set the room. Hello, Chef Rahan. I'm going to give you this time to ping your people in. I haven't finished doing mine yet, um, asking all of the moderators and um, the audience who do the same. I'm Chef Mimi Lan, and I'm so proud to be a part of this dream team. I couldn't have asked for a better club partner. There is really no ego between Chef Rahan and I as we take turns being in the background or on the forefront of each room, depending on the topics. We have a few powerful rooms in the works that are meant to uplift and bring value to our clubhouse community. So if you like to be in more rooms like this, give us a follow because we have our own clubs producing weekly rooms. Um, so you can see all of our rooms in your feeds and we can also ping you in. Let me set the room. Welcome to our room titled Top Food TV Giants Are Back. As a result of last month's room, when these TV execs were here and received overwhelming positive feedback, this room will run for about two hours. A reminder that this room is being recorded and will be available on Best Served Podcast on Chef Jensen's Clubhouse bio. Um, we're turning off the hand raising feature for now until after we've introduced all of the panelists and we'll t- turn it back on to invite people on stage. 
while on stage. If you like anything that someone says, tap on your mic quickly a few times to show your appreciation. And we also want to remind you that this app is all about the connections that we make. So feel free to follow all of the mods on stage, but also people in the audience as you check out each other's bios. I'm Chef Mimi Lan, and now that I'm done setting the room, we are going to let all of the mods introduce themselves under one minute uh, each, starting with Chef Jensen, and then Chef Sierra, and then each food TV panelist. Chef Jensen? Oh, you guys, what an honor. Uh, Jensen Cummings, based out in Denver, Colorado. Uh, we have a uh, podcast called Best Serve Podcast, and a creative company called Best Serve Creative and the uh, Clubhouse Room uh, group, excuse me, uh, best served F&B creatives and honored to uh, have Corey from our team recording this room so that we can get that up onto podcasts so we can amplify this message because it's so important. So thank you all for, uh, for being here and for honoring us to uh, collaborate with you. Cheers. Chef Ciara, you're up next. Hey guys, thank you so much for being here. I am uh, Sierra of Sierra Can Cook. I am also the founder of Foodie Nerds Headquarters here on Clubhouse. I'm just so thankful and grateful that you guys are here. Um, I am a former private chef turned home economics teacher and I'm a food content creator and I love making new friends when we're talking about food. So thank you so much for being here again. Um, give our club a follow and everyone on the stage a follow. Thank you for Mimi and Chef Rahan for being such awesome new foodie friends and all the panelists here. So I am Chef Sierra and I am done speaking. Thank you very much, Chef Sierra. Uh, we're going to head straight into our TV execs. I think Justin's on the road. Justin, if you are able to speak, um, flick your mic off. If not, um, we're going to get Bradley to introduce himself next. Over to Bradley. Hello, everyone. My name is Bradley Glenn. I am a writer producer in the food centric space. Uh, I had the grand pleasure of working with several of those in several people here in the room, including Matthew Hoban and Hayden and John Dunn and on Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmern. Uh, I'm also nominated uh, for, I was nominated for two primetime Emmy Awards for the series United States of Arts. And I am working on a series about underground chefs in LA right now. So that's me and I'm done speaking. Fantastic, thank you, Bradley. Over to you, Matt. Hi everybody, Matt Hoban here. I'm an executive producer in Los Angeles, California. Um, I kind of grew up making food shows, worked on Hell's Kitchen, Kitchen Nightmares, Private Chefs of Beverly Hills. Uh, as Bradley said, I was blessed enough to be the executive producer of Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmern for almost four years, which was an absolute dream job. And then more recently, uh, Hayden, myself and Justin and also John Dunn are all in the room, uh, pulled off a traveling food show last year during COVID for Netflix. I was hoping I was going to be able to tell you more about that today, but sadly, they still have not uh, announced the launch date. So hopefully by the next time we have one of these, I can tell you more about that show because I still not allowed to. That's Matt. Thank you for your time. Definitely looking forward to hearing about that. And uh, over to the wonderful Janelle next, please. Oh, hello. Uh, I am Janelle McCracken. Um, I've um, been doing this for, I don't know, 13 or so years. Um, I started out in casting um, and then moved over to producing. Um, I've kind of done 
a little bit of it all. I've done competition shows. Um, I've done the traveling food shows. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I love telling stories. I love meeting people. I've probably met thousands of people out there and every show I get so surprised about somebody new that like comes across, uh, you know, that, that I get to meet. And um, looking forward to, to meeting some new people and hearing some new stories here. Thanks so much. Thank you, Janelle. And uh, Hayden, you're up next. What's up, everybody? I'm Hayden. Um, got my start in late night uh, with Jimmy Kimmel. Moved over and spent 10 years with Gordon Ramsay, following him around the country. Uh, and then have done a bunch of shows with Matt and Janelle. And uh, we've dabbled outside of the food space in, uh, in I guess, ghosts and aliens and all kinds of wackadoodle things. But we always come back to food. Spent the last four years with Andrew Zimmern. Uh, doing Bizarre Food, Zimmern List, uh, some of his other shows. We won an Emmy last year for the Zimmern List, and um, now I'm doing the Netflix show with uh, Hoban, and we'll see where this ride takes us, but that's me. And no ghost hunting questions. Hayden, I told you not to bring up the ghost hunting. Hey, where do, are there ghosts real? Next more chef. To more, more to come on that one, I think. Over to Farah. Hi, it's Farah here. Um, I'm from the UK and I'm a TV producer and I have worked across all genres of television. I am moving into more into food and um, I've recently worked on uh, the Mary Berry um, uh, cooking series and uh, various other programs. I've done a Domino's documentary um, as well as a diet program. And I um, am now working on a new series. I can't say much about it yet at the moment, but I'm looking at uh, talking to people that have takeaway uh, restaurants and um, casting and telling people stories. So, yeah, that's that's me. Thank you, Farah. And uh, we're over to April next. Hi, everybody. I am April. I'm an executive producer and director. I have been doing this for about 16 years now. Started in the nuts and bolts of production, getting shows together sort of logistically and moved into creative. I have worked in a lot of reality television as well as short form documentary streaming. And in the last decade or so, uh, there's really been a strong emphasis on food and lifestyle programming. I have been lucky enough to work with several people in this group um, and looking forward to see how this goes. Thank you, April. Uh, John, you're up next. Um, you take your mic off, John. There we go. Hey, there we go. I was pressing the wrong mic thing. I'm pressing the one on my picture. It's this this crazy uh, clubhouse. I've, I, I've... Anyway, I'm John Dunn. I've worked with, uh, you've already heard my name because some of these other uh, fantastic people have worked with me on shows for the Travel Channel, for uh, the Cooking Channel. Uh, as far as food, I've done other things, other travel-related shows. Um always looking for stories i i typically am the one doing some of the segment producing where i'm the one making the calls to uh the people that we put on the show um and and coordinating with them and and identifying whether their stories are the right kind of stories so uh 
I'm here to listen for for some of those stories and hope you have some. And uh, maybe we can point you in the right direction on how to uh, get on TV, because that's what we do. We put people on TV. I'm John. I'm done. Thank you, John. Um, Thank you for sharing. And um, look, I just want to repeat something for the room. Um, This is not about pitches and show ideas. Uh, We just want you to speak about yourself in 30 seconds with key bullet points of what differentiates you from the rest. Uh, Be sure to bring your winning personality to the stage uh, when you speak. And with that being said, let's dive right into our first highlight reel. Uh, We're going to ask Chef Tinger. And Chef Tinger, do you have a question or what is your food story? You've got 30 seconds to do either. Fire away. Sure. I wouldn't say I'm a chef, but I am definitely a travel and food blogger. I promote cultural diversity through foods. Um, What sets me apart from a lot of the other food bloggers is that I focus on bringing cultures together through foods and making different types of foods less intimidating to eat. So for example, I recently ate um, grasshopper tacos in Mexico and I made it look very appetizing and other posts similar to that, I've shown that um, the texture of eating these types of grasshoppers is also similar to some of the shrimps that you may see in Chinese uh, stir fries or if you've ever had like soft shell crab and sushi. So in that way, relating all the foods together um, across various cultures will make it seem like, okay, if I tried this type of food once, um, maybe I'll give this new type of uh, dish a go. So thank you so much. Thank you, Tinja. So I guess it's storytelling um, in that aspect. Um, TV execs, um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I'll jump in first as the Bizarre Foods executive producer. Um, I think you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, by the time a lot of us came on the show, you know, it had been a successful show for so long. Um, Andrew had eaten everything. So there wasn't really a bizarre food left that we hadn't done on the show. And, you know, over the course of the last however many seasons we did it, we really made it about, you know, showing people that food is universal and what may be strange to you isn't strange to somebody else. And everybody had a grandma and everybody has grandma food. And those are the stories we love to tell the most because, yeah, I was always the first guy behind the camera wanting to try the weird stuff as well. But, you know, not everybody has such a a willing palate. And to be able to show them that the food is really the backdrop to a deeper and more profound story. Those are just my favorite kinds of stories to tell. Thank you, Matt. Um, hopefully that answers uh, uh, the question and, and, and the uh, message there. Jeff, Mimi? No, I was just going to say we have uh, time for one more comment. If any of the mods like to make a comment. Uh, for myself, I would love to... Uh, to try one of those uh, grasshopper tacos one of these days. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so thank you very much there. Our next uh, speaker, so uh, let's bring that one in. Do you have a question or what is your food story? You've got 30 seconds and that is Hui. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Hui, are you there? Oh, yeah, there you are. Hi, yeah, Hui. <laughs> 
Oh yeah, it's Hugh. So um, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Hugh Gray. I'm a award-winning Vietnamese American filmmaker, and my story starts in the most unlikely of places, a refugee camp where I was born in the '80s after the fall of Saigon, and from there my family settled in Georgia, where we were one of the few Vietnamese families. And so I've always felt like an outsider, and it was food that has um, been my connection to different cultures and my experience includes working with Anthony Bourdain at CNN as well as my own blog Stylishly Delicious where I connect food and fashion and I want to use my platform as a way to tell my stories as well as connect with others. Um, again my name is Hugh Gray and I am done speaking. Hey Hugh, uh, what do you mean by uh, food and fashion? How does that work? Um, so I, I feel like I have a pretty good taste and style and it's in terms of, you know, food is not just for the stomach, but it's for the eyes. And so I always try to make uh, my dishes look as stylishly pleasing as possible. So do you, you match the dishes like you dress up with them like for overall experience or you just want to make the food really pop? Yeah, I, it's, it's a combination of both, you know, making the food pop, but also um, designing my outfits around them and just making the overall aesthetic, aesthetic look as beautiful as possible. Oh, that's a cool, that's a cool hybrid show idea if you wanted to run with that with something, you know, like the whole experience. Um, and I'm Hayden, I'm done talking. Yeah, I would add that, um, I mean, similar like there's such a social aspect of food and there's a social aspect of fashion so i think it's kind of a cool combination so um great idea feeling like i need to Again, my um, fashion show. a makeover show where you're baking over not only what people wear but what they eat maybe that's i guess that's two-fifths of uh queer eye but uh maybe there is something there where those two tie together as a kind of up, you know, upping your game in, in two areas. Sorry, I know we're not taking pitches, but that's just an interesting idea. So we're just uh, keep going with that. Looking forward to hearing more. And I'm sure um, uh, a lot of people are going to be following you um, and on your Instagram as well. Um, this is your chance in the audience as well to follow the mod, follow the speakers as well. And speaking of the speakers, our next one is up. Do you have a question or what is your food story? Over to Chef Rebecca. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Mimi, for getting me up here. I'm Rebecca Reed, and I really love what I do. I'm the corporate pastry chef for three of the most popular restaurants in Jacksonville, Florida. I graduated with honors from the French Culinary Institute in Manhattan. I've worked with James Beard award-winning chefs. I even won Chopped Sweets in 2020. And I'm the host of a new show called Plated on Awakening TV. I teach virtual cooking classes in my free time. And I'm a mom. I'm here to show people like me that the hustle is worth it when you get to live your dream and eat dessert. <laughs> I'm Chef Rebecca Reed, and I'm done speaking. Chef Rebecca, my goodness, every time I hear you speak, I just love it. Sorry, I jumped in, but just want to say hi. Hey, Chef Mimi. 
thank you for sharing, uh, Chef Rebecca. And uh, I think we've got Quincy up next. Quincy, um, what's your question or story to the execs here? Hello, and you said my name right. Nobody says it right first, so thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Quincy. I'm also a refugee. I grew up in Iowa. I am now in Los Angeles. I look at food as an adventure. The way I cook is the MacGyver of food, um, and I, I travel to eat. I went to Tuscany, Italy, and convinced the Tuscany truffle hunter to take me truffle hunting at five in the morning in the pitch black. It's very unglamorous, but we did, we were able to hunt and gather 100 grams of white truffle. So if it is actually worth its weight in gold, I was a very wealthy woman on this trip. And that is the way I look at food and experiences with food. This is Quincy and I'm done speaking. Thank you very much. And we are on to our next speaker, which is Chef Harsh from India. Chef Harsh, let's hear your story. Hey everyone, I'm Chef Harsh Kere. I'm 24 years old. Uh, I go by the name of Diabetic Chef. If it strikes a chord in your head, if you wonder what it is. I've been a diabetic for 10 years and uh, my love for food started much before I was diabetic. And through my journey, I realized that a lot of people who are actually diabetic, crave desserts more than everyone. So I started experimenting with stevia and sugar alternatives. And currently, I'm the youngest chef in the world, who is the last living diabetic chef. I'm a Forbes 30 under 30. I've never been on television, but I'd love to help other diabetics in the world, changing one perspective about desserts each day. And that's me, Chef Harsh Kedia. I'll jump in. Uh, that's the kind of you've got a you've got a perspective and you've got a tie to food and you've got a a, a niche that uh, is interesting and that is the type of thing that shows are about so whether or not that's a show whether and not anybody would want to sell it whether it's maybe it's a segment on a show maybe that's how you start maybe how you keep working your your uh getting your message out there maybe it's picked up somewhere but Again, that's an example of a very clear-cut thing that you do, and, and that is always a good starting point. This is John. Pass it off to anyone else who wants to comment. Thank you, John. Yeah. Hi, it's April here. I think that it's a great idea for that. I mean, there are a myriad of things to consider aside from health. Um, there are so many trends. Um you know, with keto and a bunch of other things that people are following, a lot of dietary things that are coming up. So expanding your creativity uh, and still connecting through food, I think, is really wonderful. I think that's something to keep pursuing. Thank you so I much. Jump, you mind if I jump in on this real quick? Uh, so are you doing, like, compare and contrast where you're showing the difference between, like, the, the keto or the sugar-free or the diabetic version versus, like, the traditional version and letting people ha uh, do taste tests so they can see what you're doing and that you can change the, um, the ingredients but not the flavor profiles? Yeah, for sure. So that's the perspective. Of, if I may, uh, Mimi Rehan, may I go for it? Far away, Hosh. Go for it. So essentially... Uh, what we try to put a narrative around is that the kind of chocolates you buy, Godiva or Lindt, which is popularly available, um, I can match the same flavor profile uh, minus the sugar, minus 
the fatty ingredients that they add in into their products so we have this narrative that we try to build around that something that is healthy or diabetes friendly or without sugar doesn't necessarily uh, taste bad or it doesn't necessarily uh, taste bitter so that's the kind of comparative that i put in with the work we do to add a little pop to our packaging and to make it more appealing to people while the taste remains pretty consistent and pretty great thank you how, yeah how many views are you are you you're putting all this stuff on youtube or am i incorrect on that i honestly don't have a youtube account yet i'd love to create content i've never had the resources for it but i do have an instagram co- uh, account if anybody would like to connect and help me out with it okay well put it, start putting your content out there and i'm sure that there is somebody that will say hey this is the next thing and who knows if you get a show or not but uh it's a great opportunity and keep pushing that thank you so much hayden Yeah chef you have over 25,000 followers on your Instagram congrats and i just love your content on Instagram personality shown through just very upbeat and fun and um just just full of personality so keep doing you Thank you so much thank you so much Thank you very much Um At this time I just want to let everyone know that we just opened the uh hand raising feature and uh people have been um you know uh um allow on stage so feel free to raise your hand if you'd like to speak and those who have already spoken um I will uh respectfully put you back in the audience just because it's easier for us to see everybody on stage and if you have something to say or you have more questions later feel free to raise your hand again thank you so i guess one of the things here um and we're speaking to haj and he's he's talking about getting a youtube channel and resources so one of my questions to the tv execs is finance how does finance work out on a smaller scale on a bigger scale what how big a part does that play uh and that's an open question um to to the moderators there uh i'll jump in i know that uh what you can do is you can oftentimes you know pair up with uh producers like myself can pair up with a chef and we can um you know go to uh maybe with an instagram account with a significant number of followers or something like that we can go and then say hey we want to explore this as an idea let's do a sizzle reel so um let's do a sizzle reel that can be kind of like we can do something you know for we're talking like just a few thousand dollars and um we can uh you know put something together that can then attract you know a possible network execs and stuff like that around that So that's something that I've done on the past and I continue to do um looking for chefs and stuff like that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I guess one of the other aspects is grants and I was um speaking to Hayden about grants um uh, yesterday. Uh Hayden, grants from Wisconsin that was something that we discussed. Well, I was talking to some people here that were doing uh that were putting out for grants to do content and a lot of these like documentary I think .com or documentary.org um they have a lot of grant opportunities especially for marginalized voices in the food or TV space and what's really interesting is if you get a grant um you then get to make the content but you own the content so 
if you can reach out for a grant to make it and get it made, you own the content and then you can then shop it around to networks after that. Uh, so it's a really interesting way to do things. Some of these smaller production companies here in Wisconsin are actually doing that, not necessarily in the food space, but um, they've got six or seven seasons of shows that are going on PBS that they are now shopping to bigger networks. So it's definitely a way to get in. One of the chefs that we have on uh, stage at the moment, Chef Joshua, is actually, that's how I come across the grants actually in the first place. Chef Joshua, um, you're working with the grant at the moment. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, hey everybody. Uh, so I'm on a multiple uh, platforms, including YouTube, Patreon, uh, this new one called Ribbon Experiences, to posting up content and classes. Uh, and Patreon is doing a grant right now uh, for US-based content food creators, uh, people of black and indigenous, people of colors, uh, that underrepresented communities uh, in the food world. So they're creating a, a grant opportunity uh, and a mentorship opportunity as well for US food, US-based food creators uh, for 15,000. So I think that's something interesting for people if they want to apply for it. I think there's like a couple more days left for the deadline. Thank you very much, Chef Joshua. Um, I've seen your IG video on that, and I'm sure um, if everyone wants to take a look on that on, on Chef Joshua's IG, he put together an amazing video uh, of some great content. Uh, we've actually got Chef Chris Cho here. Um, 1.7 million on TikTok. Chef Chris Cho, how are you? Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, my name is uh, Chef Chris Cho. I'm here in Philly. I have two restaurants down here. And uh, I was born in Korea, you know, raised in Philly. And that's like the two things that I love to talk about online. And over the last year through the pandemic, I, I don't know, I kind of went viral from like zero to almost like 2.2 million online. So I know there's a market online, but I was like really curious if there might be any market for any Korean food or a Philly chef on the network. I, I, I was just genuinely curious. Um, yeah, I'll take this. I mean, there's there's always a market for either of those things. And especially if you put them together, it's something that's so unique. There's there's always space for, for unique stories. Um, so, you know, I mean, depending on whatever is out there and, and currently casting, I would say just, you know, keep your eyes peeled. Um, whether it's something that you actively reach out um, to someone to, to be on their particular network or show um, is one thing. But, you know, if you keep up that hustle and, and that kind of momentum that it looks like you're getting, you know, sooner or later, I'm sure somebody will come to you too and, and have some sort of opportunity that you might be a good fit for. And uh, this is Matt just jumping in. I think another factor is because we're, you know, we're obviously not out yet, but we're coming out of COVID. There is such a thirst for content now. There's also so many networks that are opening up digital platforms and are able to take risks on either more niche stories, smaller stories. So I, I think the first question you should ask yourself is it, what is it that you want do you want to be on a cooking competition show where you just blow everybody away with your food do you want to feature your restaurant on a traveling show um do you want to try to start building you know a stronger fan base through a youtube or a, you know an independent site to try to eventually get your own show i think the, it's really important to know what you want before you try to go out there because then you can be more tactical on who you're going after to try to either get cast by or partner up by or what network you want to be on. Matt out. 
I agree so, with Matt. I'm sorry for cutting so, in this chef Sierra. Yeah. I agree, Matt. You got to know what you want. That is the biggest question that a lot of us have to ask ourselves. So personally, I just like to cook Korean food. That's like what I'm an expert at. And second is like, I just like to travel and try new food and learn different kind of food. But I, I also felt like if I'm ever getting a show for the first few, it would be something like where I'm learning rather than getting the exact show that I want. Uh, so another question is, do I just keep doing what I do and wait for to be reached out and find a show? Or do I constantly keep reaching out to, because I haven't reached out to anyone. No, I was going to ask you too, Chef Chris, like, if, if you had looked into any uh, opportunities out there, I mean, I think like there's a lot of ways that you can start small um, and work up to it and, and get involved. And a lot of times, you know, like the, the show I'm doing right now, Food Paradise, it, it's not really a show that you go after being on. We tend to just find the restaurants and we call them cold and, and the chefs. And, you know, that's the way most people get on this particular show, but it's also based on what you're doing. Like if you're doing, you know, unique food in Philly, like you're doing Korean food in Philadelphia, right? And then that's something that can very easily catch people's eyes. Um, so I would say first and foremost, keep doing what you're doing. Second of all, if you are interested in opportunities, then, you know, start looking for those opportunities and start putting it out there just as a part of what you do. Um, because, you know, the secret is not really a secret so much that people don't know that you want something. They're not going to come to you with something a lot of times. But if you have this online presence, if you have a presence on, you know, YouTube and Instagram and whatnot, it is easier to find you. Now, you, they were saying that you have a large TikTok following or that you've gotten, gotten far on TikTok. How, how does that work for you as a chef? What are you doing on TikTok that's getting you noticed in that space? Because that seems to be more of a short form space that a lot of food people have not cracked. It's I don't to be honest, I've really just been doing the same thing. But it's just I think people are definitely interested in Korean food, Korean culture. And also, I think they're just like, oh, shoot, this Asian guy is kind of raw, you know, and I guess that was like something new to other people's eyes. Because uh, either when you're looking at an Asian chef, you're looking at like a Michelin star, you know, like a very classy Japanese chef. And then there's like me like, yo, yo, this is what we're about to do. Chop it up. So like, I think that was like interesting to people's eyes. So I just cook Korean food and I just stay Philly. I'll tell you what, I, I, I love it all already. And I'll, I'll, me and you need to hook up. Maybe I can help you find something out there because... I think that just your your presentation already and just who you are and, and talking to you for these couple of minutes, I think could be very, very interesting on television and, and entertaining. I don't know what form that would take, but I think the approach and the style that, that you're talking about already seems interesting to me. And I think could fit into a lot of food pro programming out there or the direction that food programming should be going in. And Chris, I want to jump in on this too. Um, you know, the thing is, we got to get you on TV just to start. Nobody's just going to give you a show. So you've got to like reach out even for whatever the smallest thing you see to start doing it so they can see your personality, see who you are. And then you'll get other opportunities because we all share contacts. We all share who we work with, who is great. And you may not even make the show that you film uh, on. And we go, hey, we did a great show of, let's just say, uh, Zimmerlist or whatever it may be but you didn't make the cut. Well, 
Matt might, or Matt Hoban might say, hey, I need somebody who's like, hey, there's this great Vietnamese uh, chef that's in Philly, you know, put him on your show. And that's the way it works. Yeah, so, I, you know, so I noticed that you guys are all great producers. And I think when you guys say, like, oh, just get started, I think you guys kind of assume that we would know what getting started means. But if you could break that down even easier, like, what would be an action step that I could do to reach out? So when you say reach out or get started, when you guys are saying that, I'm like, how, where, where do I start? Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm so, like, I'm sure a lot of people could relate too, but like what like what is the basic step that i could do to even start or reach out or do anything and i think yeah. Clubhouse, this is the i'll jump step, in but... go for it john well i i'd reach out to a local philly tv station and come up with an idea they're always looking the morning shows have you know whether it's super bowl treats or thanks thanksgiving uh recipes come with your own flair and say hey i want to come in and say i'm going to give you a uh Korean Thanksgiving. Uh, there's there's a lot of big stars who started in local television, and I worked with one of them, uh, and and turned into a, a, a major star on in in the food world. But started out cooking on the the morning show here locally in Minneapolis, and that was Andrew Zimmern. And I remember him uh, coming in and and blowing everybody away. And you know that's how it gets started. That is how it gets started. But all your following on social media is, is, is also a start because the networks are looking for talent who have, have developed that following because they've obviously got something uh, cooking. So that's, that's what the start is. You're already started. But your next step is to get uh, maybe on a TV show. Yeah, and if I could jump in here too real quick um... – you know, for lack of a better term, it's it's a little bit of TV stalking. It's the same thing we do on our end when we're researching and we're looking for new chefs and new restaurants. We spend most of our day just mining the internet for like, we know we wanna go to this city. Who's the young up and comer? Who's saved the old restaurant that was gonna go out of business? Chefs should be doing the same things. Like if you wanna be on Master Chef or you wanna be on Top Chef or you wanna be on Food Paradise, you can Google it, you can Wikipedia it, you can IMDB it. Find out what the name of the production company is that makes that show. Every single one of them is going to have a website. Every single one of them is going to have a way, a contact email address, a contact number. A lot of them will have casting posts. Hey, the new season of so-and-so starts casting next month. Send us your submissions. Um, you'd be surprised what just a little bit of you know free time and research can accomplish. Matt out. And let me just chime in real quick. Also, the a lot of times the network websites will have links when they're casting certain shows. A lot of times those do tend to be the, the contest-related shows because those are the ones that are cast more at the network level and not just by the production companies. Um, but you should definitely look on there. There's usually buried links like, hey, you want to be the next Food Network TV star? They're, 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 those links are out there and because that's how they find people. That's how they find people for Big Brother and Survivor, too. It's the same kind of thing. So if you have an interest in those things, see what's out there. Maybe apply to a couple things. It doesn't even necessarily mean that you have to do it, but you can also start to see what the process is by, by querying around. And that's for, for any chef that wants to be uh, starting to get out there. Like, do, do, when we say do the work and get started, it means... Get up YouTube, try to do videos yourself, get your friends to shoot them, shoot them yourself, come up with your ideas, jot them down in a sketchbook, 
be actively participating in trying to find um, what shows are casting or what shows that you like, like do the research, see what the different kinds of shows are that are out there. And if you are actively participating in that part of the food community, it starts to become easier. If, if you're sitting at home and you're not, you know, putting up your camera phone and cooking a dish in front of your, you know, on your IG, then you're not getting started. You're, you're waiting for something to happen to you. You can't just go into your restaurant or go into wherever you're cooking, bang out some plates and expect that anyone's going to notice. You have to do something that's going to help you get noticed. And that can happen in any variety of ways. And that's what I think we mean when we say get started, because almost everyone that we find, it's they had a great Yelp. You know, sometimes it's something that silly, you know, that they had a great Yelp page with good photos on it. That could have been the place where you started. Sometimes it's somebody's IG. A lot of times it's YouTube because that's one of the easiest things for casting producers to go through and see how you actually are in front of a camera for more than 30 seconds. Uh, that, that tends to be very helpful. So if you get those things started and just keep at it and start participating in this side of the food community, it will help. Wow. Thank you guys so much. This was like a master class of food TV that we're right here. Thank you guys all so much. Thank you, Chef Chris. Uh, love your content and always love that uh, you put so much energy into it and love the catchphrase scallion because um, it's one of my favorite. Uh, <laughs> it's Ooh. one of my favorites, bro. Uh, absolutely love your content. So uh, pl I'm really pleased that you're here today. Uh, moving on to our uh, next question. I know Alyssa was here and um, just as she was about to ask a question, it was it was time to leave. So let's get Alyssa's question before we even get near that end point. Um, Alyssa, uh, have you got a question or a story for the um, mods here today? Hi. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I'll start with the story. Um, so I'm a food writer, uh, content creator, mac macro influencer. Um, and I, I guess my passion started when I was a kid. Um, we didn't really have like a lot of money to go traveling or to buy things or to really go out to eat. But my dad was a history buff well, and everything buff, but especially history. Um, so he would, at least once a week, he would do something called international night where he would make food from another place, from another country, from another you know part of the world. Um, and with that meal came a whole history lesson, a whole, you know, lesson about the people, about the culture, about, where, you know what part of the world about their geography everything and even though we didn't have much I, I never felt it um because it was just the storytelling was incredible and I always felt like I was there um so I read a lot and I learned a lot <laughs> and as I got older that passion kind of continued to grow which is why I got started with the food blogging and writing and picture taking because I just really wanted to explore food especially when it came to restaurants learning about different foods that i haven't tried yet um and that kind of passion started to turn into um helping restaurants you know connect with their communities especially where i grew up i grew up in brooklyn new york and i grew up in a community that was that most people in brooklyn don't even know about uh we're nowhere near the trains and we don't have a lot of uh um variety and people are very often kind of stuck in their comfort zone. So I started getting very passionate about connecting people with new kinds of foods and, and teaching them and trying to get them interested. Um, so with that, my question is, 
because uh, last time I, you guys gave a lot of great advice <laughs> about, um, you know, how to, you know, just be yourself and, and everything, get on YouTube. So I guess how would you take that? Because it's not an exceptionally unique story, but how would you take that and I guess uh, turn it into something that can help restaurants and share stories, connect people better? I'll jump in and just say this passion is always a good starting point for a great story. And clearly you have a passion for, you know, what you're doing and what you're trying to get out there. So you just got to tell that story. What's the beginning, middle and end of that story? What's the hero's journey, um, which is a term we use a lot of that story. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, if I could jump in here too. I mean, even in your pitch right now, Alyssa, you were saying that you lived in a unique area of Brooklyn that many people don't know about. I mean, I think if there's a story that hasn't been told yet, that's what a lot of people are looking for. Um, and to further Justin's point, if there's some sort of passion there and authenticity in that story, like that's where you want to start. If you're having trouble connecting or identifying with the story, then trust that your audience will too. So figuring out what excites you what is unusual what is exciting like you know out of the ordinary there and really pushing that envelope and curating that story for an audience i think is the first first place to start uh matt here just jumping in one last thing be unabashedly you um you know a lot of us who were in this room two weeks ago the first time we did this there was one particular woman who jumped in and she immediately was like hey my story's not that good i just wanted to share and then she told us this amazingly passionate story about why she loves food and she's not a professional chef but like everything that came out of her mouth we were all talking to each other after like that woman would make it to round two in any casting of any show and don't ever think your story is not original because it is your story that makes it original and just be unabashedly you unabashedly honest you know be something we talked about last week be a little producible but be yourself first and something good will come from it thank you matt and uh, just let me jump in real quick again with with storytelling you have to keep in mind, and this is a lot of this is on us, but the more of this that you've done for us, you know, not to say that we're lazy, but we have so much going on, but storytelling, there is a format to it. It really is a beginning, middle and end. And what's going to make a story compelling is, you know, why are we starting today? If you look at any movie script, you know, it has a reason why it starts in the place that it starts. And you know, Hollywood has cracked this formula even more over time of it doesn't necessarily mean you have to tell the, the very beginning of an origin. Sometimes you start with the bank robbery or something else. Like there's a reason why a story is starting a certain place. So look at your story and it's like, well, the story I want to tell is about this unique, you know, food that I, I'm interested in because of this unique area. So that is where the story starts. And also keep in mind that the middle of a story has, you know, uh, a conflict to it to a certain extent. And that can happen in food too, because basically your conflict is you have, you know, raw whole ingredients and you got to get them to the finished plate. And the journey of, of that and that moment can be the, the conflict in the middle part of your story. 
And then you have to have an ending to the story, which could be, you know, a great plate of food, or sometimes it's a tragedy, as I'm sure the Hell's Kitchen guys on this uh, panel know. Uh, it's not a great plate, and it's a tragedy at the end of the day. But there's a beginning, middle, and an end to a story. And even in your own storytelling, as you're starting to try to get out there, when you have an idea of what that concept is, it makes it easier for producers to see you as producible because we have to tell those stories. And if we can't find a way to tell a story with a beginning, middle and end, we have nothing to offer you either. So there has to be a complete story to what you're doing. And it sounds like you have a lot of those elements. And if you start working through what those can be in your situation, it, it's gonna make it just that much easier to keep telling that story and disseminating that story from one person to the next, whether it be to millions of people or just you know, one person in a room. But telling your story becomes an important part of it if you want other people to know your story. And one, one last thing I jump in on this, Justin, is as simple as what is the emotional journey? What is it that connects you to that dish, the restaurant, you know, the history? We hear it in scripted all the time, the emotional journey of the character. And for chefs, a lot of times it's just what does that one dish or recipe mean to them? And that resonates with an audience. Thank you so much, guys. That was really, really helpful. Really amazing advice. And Matt, the person that you were referring to, uh, I think is Ruby and she is on stage as well. I wanted to shout that out. Thank you for saying that, Mimi. <laughs> the building, speaking of Ruby, perfect intro. Ruby, what is your question or story to the, to the mods? Hey, um, so that's flattering as hell. Um, <laughs> um, damn. <laughs> what? Uh, okay, so I'm going to tell you guys why I got into preserves. So uh, about the time that I was a teenager living with my dad and my sister, um, one of the guys I, hang I used to hang out with, his grandmother used to make um, preserves every summer. She would make pear preserves and peach preserves and she would give them to people. So she gave him the, the preserves and he didn't want it. He was like, she does this all the time. Like, do you want it? And I was like, hell yeah. I, like I was already like very actively a foodie and was trying anything. Like I was dating people just so they would take me to authentic restaurants so I could eat their authentic food. So um, I took the prayer preserves and they were the sweetest thing I had ever eaten. And I was like, okay, when I grow up and get my own shit, I'm going to learn how to preserve and can food. And my favorite thing to eat is peaches because I grew up down South in Alabama and Georgia is very well known for their peaches, but so are we. Um, so that is what I did once I got my own shit, like I said, and I um, had my daughter and her favorite thing to eat was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. At one point I was like, okay, here's my chance to do what I said I wanted to do as a kid. And I started teaching myself how to can and preserve. There's a local preserver here. Her name's Marissa. Um, and she, she, um, she printed, she produced um, food in jars and canning by the pint, preserving by the pint. And so I went to a couple of her book signings and got some one-on-one -on -one, um, tips from her and started making jams and preserves for my daughter and for myself. And, and I took that and started to scale up more and more to the point where I had to remodel my kitchen and get a new stove and a new vent and everything to deal with all the summer canning heat. Um, and then in 2019, I opened my own business and took it to a, a local farmer's market. I finally got out of my 
um, agoraphobia issues. I had been going to therapy for years, trying to learn how to be around what I call daytime people. Um, because I don't know if I've said this in another room with you guys, but when I was a teenager, I was trafficked. So I was in a nightlife for years and was uncomfortable with daytime people, but that's another story. Um, but I got out of all that, went to the farmer's market and was selling my preserves and it was a hit. I was doing really well for the whole year of 2019 selling my preserves. So I was very proud of that. And then I shut it all down in 2020 because I was like, okay, that's enough back into my little hole. Um, but yeah, that's how I got into preserving. And again, that's one of those things where I used to watch shows on PBS and watch people pulling out all these neat tricks and things, sauces that they had made to cook with. And I know that preserving was a part of that. So again, thank you guys for putting these shows on TV because you just don't know how many people you inspire, how many little kids who don't have, you know, cable who are watching just what they can watch. And it's a cooking show on PBS. So I really appreciate all the effort you guys put into it. Thank you. This is Ruby and I'm done speaking. Thank you very much, Ruby. And thank you for sharing. I know, um, the mods have uh, spoken about you uh, very highly um, uh, as you were on the last show as well. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, always a pleasure to have you uh, here on the stage. Um, our next speaker is uh, Chef Jensen. Chef Jensen, what's your 30-second uh, story or question? Yeah, my goal in life now is to burn down the facade that uh, I helped build in the restaurant industry around the idea of family. And I'll tell you a quick backstory to kind of inform that mission and that work. Uh, it starts long before I was even born. In 1900 in Little Falls, Minnesota, my great-great-grandfather opened a restaurant called La Fond House. i uh, only seen pictures of it. It looks like somewhere where Wild Bill would have shot somebody out front. And fast forward, great-grandfather, grandfather were barmen and restaurateurs in San Francisco. My father's three younger brothers own six restaurants across three states and even my younger brother is also a chef we are absolute gluttons for punishment when i was 17 i moved from san diego to ames iowa where my uncles have uh, started a little restaurant empire in 1984 moved there and found my people instantly i knew that the the chaos the the first time there was a dishes piled higher than my head i knew that i had found my place and then I proceeded to do all the things, win the awards, be written about, uh, open my own restaurants, and all this while kind of killing myself to try and live up to this family legacy. And we talk about the word family a lot in this industry, and we don't really understand what it means. And I have two young sons now, and I looked at them a couple of years ago and said, I need to walk away from this industry that's killing me, or I need to invest all of myself to be able to look them in the eyes and say that I would be proud to have them be the sixth generation in our family to be a part of this wild and crazy industry. So I want to start to tell stories about people that don't get spoken about, people that we don't think matter. 11 million people who've committed themselves to feeding this their communities are so important to me and to share and connect those stories. And when I had Andrew Zimmer on our show, we spent a lot of time talking about that and Andrew remembering those first jobs and finding his people. And that's what we need to do. We need to stop selling food and start telling stories. And that's my goal. Thank you. You know, I, I'll jump in because I, I talked a little, a little bit last time too about finding your tribe. Um, and family, 
is a word that I think that we've misconstrued a lot in society. Uh, you know, there's one type of family, which is who you're related to. And then there's the other family, which is the people that you choose and the people that choose you. And, you know, telling a story to somebody you have chosen or who has chosen you, who's part of your tribe is different than telling it to somebody who is a blood relation, who is forced <laughs> to associate with you. And so, I, I completely get where you're coming from. And I think that, you know, you've just found a level of importance in your own personal life and your own soul that you need to translate and that you need to get out there to the world. And I think that that is compelling. And I think that a lot of people need to find that. And other people can go with the more traditional route of, of what was passed down to them. And for some people that works. And honestly, you know, I think at the end of the day, good storytelling and sharing stories is about what works. There's certain audiences and certain groups of people that you can tell your story to more easily than others. And that's always going to be the case. And then our job as, as producers is to find ways to translate that to the biggest and best audience a lot of times, or sometimes it is to just a specific audience. So I, I applaud you in that you found uh, a need for your voice for yourself, because I think that that is the place that a lot of people need to start with. And it's not always about pleasing everyone else. Uh, a lot of times it's about pleasing yourself and the pride that you take in what you do and, and what your story is that you're sharing. And with food, I think a lot of times it can get misconstrued because there's a lot of chefs out there that make food to make other people happy and it doesn't necessarily make them happy. Um, or it did at one point and they've lost sight of it and they've lost track of it. And I tell chefs every day on the show that I'm doing right now, like, forget about the ticket machine. It's not running today. You know, get back to whatever the passion was that made you want to do this. And then we've got something special here. And if, if you can't get there, then I'm just going to have to make it up for you. But that's the real heart of it. Thank you very much, Justin. And... Um, <laughs> Speaking of tribes, when we're talking about tribes as well, there's a there's a tribe of the keto tribe out there as well. And we've got um, Chef uh, Michael here, uh, best-selling author of New Keto Cooking. Chef Michael, what's your question to the mods? Hey, guys. Uh, thank you so much, Ron, for, for getting me back on stage. Um, look, I, I, I grew up with a love of food. My family has a 75-year tradition uh, from my great-grandparents who fled from Russia and all over the country. They fly uh, in for dinner once a year. I mean, we still do it. We haven't missed the year. Um, so like food is love for me. And at 13, I begged my parents to get me a job at this Italian restaurant when I wasn't even legally able to work. And they, I convinced the manager to pay me cash to roll the napkins up with the silverware. And, you know, food really is my world, but that, that led me to a lifetime of poor eating. Um, and by 30 was, you know, well over 300 pounds. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. It, it, it's hard. Um, and I, I knew I had to make a change. I knew I had to take care of my health, but I wasn't willing to lose what food is to me, how important food is to all of us and the, and the joy that brings with life. And so, you know, I left my job to go for MasterChef. I was on MasterChef season 10. Um, soon after, was offered a book deal. And, uh, and now I get to share, you know, a way for people to find health and still enjoy the food that they're eating uh, every day is my job. And, you know, getting messages from people about how I'm changing their life. It means the world to me. And all I want to do is keep sharing that. I want people to see that you can eat, you can eat and love the food you're eating and be healthy. And 
it's so important to me. And I, I, you know, I guess my question for you guys is it, it sometimes feels like TV is not interested in talking about health and neither am I, I'm not interested in talking about diet culture, but I think that we as a country and, and as a culture need to have these hard conversations, but that doesn't mean we have to give up food. We love that doesn't mean we have to eat plain grilled chicken and, and lettuce. Um, and so I want to find a way to share that. And like, I, I still feel like, you know, the little chubby kid, but at, at 30 years old, this gay chubby kid could make it. And, you know, now I'm a published author. I had a full page spread in People magazine a few weeks back. And, and I want people to see that you can do it, that you can change your life. So, Chef Michael, don't sell yourself short. You're just ahead of the curve. Here's the deal. Like, as uh, everything becomes more mainstream, you're going to see more and more people reaching out to you or people from television to find out what are you doing. If you're making healthy keto food, uh, people are going to be like, okay, I'm getting into this. Like right now, Instagrammers that are doing uh, macros and macro counting are huge. The next thing is keto. And especially uh, if you're doing food that tastes really, really good and you can give people that, um, that experience, we're going to find you. Uh, just reach out to us. I'm sure, you know, in the next six months or a year, people are gonna be like, oh, what's the healthy version of these shows that we can do? I'm hating them. Um, I'll, I'll add this. Like, look, here's, here's an honest reality. And everybody in the food industry has to look at where the money comes from. You always have to follow the money to a certain extent. So the key to food television being healthier is healthier sponsors healthier advertisers and people who are promoting that lifestyle along with you. So, you know, if, if you want to take activism to the level where it becomes pop culture and mainstream, the real trick to doing it is to find the path of money that makes it happen. Because I can't tell you how many times I've worked on a TV show where, you know, we're going to default to the big carnival, stupid, you know, triple decker, super deep fried hamburger because it's visual and the sponsors find it interesting because it's this big visual thing and nobody's thinking about anyone's arteries at that point in time. And they're thinking about their wallets and their paydays at the end of the day. And that is a sad reality of the business. But I wanna jump in and say that because I think that everyone needs to be aware of what is really going on out there and what really drives it. What drives it is the, you know, the Keebler elves in the commercial selling fudge cookies. And as long as the Keebler elves are the ones really paying everyone's salary in food TV, then you better know that we're going to bake a bunch of fudge cookies on TV because that's where the paychecks are. So you, you do, and Hayden's right, things are changing and you do find more of those other companies that are willing to invest time and money. But then there's also alternate um, paths to follow of like Healthline and, and WebMD are starting to do video now and they want to include food video because it's a type of programming that people like, you know, and they're not they're not using the same advertisers that the food channels are using. They're using the health advertisers, the people that are concerned about you. Um, and so there may be other platforms and venues in the future for programming that is health related. It just might not be those same forms until there's the money to back it up, because I can tell you right now, no network executive is walking away from the big paychecks they get from Betty Crocker or Budweiser or whoever these other companies are that are 
are putting these things out there. And that is kind of the issue that you're dealing with in trying to tell that story. But keep going because Hayden's right. It's coming. We just have to find the way to fund it the right way. Yeah, Matt here, if I could jump in with just one more, I don't want to say example of hope, and certainly this is an apples to apples scenario, but you know, three or four years ago, they were doing super no budget to low budget, like California local marijuana cooking shows on YouTube. Now Chopped literally has Chopped 420. So just look at how much the 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 country and and programming has just changed on marijuana in the last three or four years. So I think there's a finger on a lot of these pulses. And again, now that there's so many digital platforms and it's not just Food Network, it's not just Cooking Channel, people can take a risk on a vegan show or a keto show or a marijuana cooking show. And next thing you know, it's mainstream uh, mainstream broadcasting. That's it. But Hogan, with that, I also do have to say, look at the landscape too though. What What changed? that made marijuana on television more palatable was there's more money in it now because it's legalized in a lot of places. There's tax revenues coming in. It's funding part of the process. There's more commercial advertisers now. And so now you have that basis for it. So as as the health products and the health companies and the ideology becomes more mainstream and becomes profitable, you will see that shift because again, people are gonna go with the money. That's pretty fascinating, though, Justin, you know, that perspective. And it's making me wonder, is there room for both? Like, you know, but the second book that I'm working on is, is, is like a comfort food book. And I'm sort of thinking about this out loud. Can we create food porn, so to speak, that's that's like visual and that does all the things that TV needs it to do and not necessarily hurt us as much? I, I'm just curious, like your guys perspective on that without it really being a keto thing or having an agenda around a specific diet. It comes back to the story. Uh, yeah. I'm going to jump in real quick, Justin. It comes back to the story. If there's a story and there's something behind it, like we put some really ugly food on TV, but it's just because there's the story behind it and it resonates with the audience because everybody you know, oh, I've had a very similar experience. Yeah, I'll agree too. I mean, look at, look at some of these shows too. Like some, you know, did you really think in the 80s that, you know, shows about, people eating gross things would be popular. They are, you know, you, you've got bizarre foods and man versus food and things that you didn't think were going to be palatable on TV, but then somebody did crack it and figure out how to tell the story. And then that became the pitch to the networks and thusly the sponsors as well of like, yeah, you don't think this is appealing, but it is actually appealing and we can still sell commercials and products. So it does, Hayden is correct that the story does dictate a lot but it also takes that person to go out there the first time and push that story and prove that it can be profitable or prove that there's a, a place for it in the marketplace. And you, you should never say never in these kinds of trends and whatnot. If you have a desire to see it, then you can make it and you can find people who will go along with making it with you. And if you can make it entertaining and fun and profitable, it will be on TV or internet or somewhere. Speaking of uh, entertaining or profitable, I'm wondering what entertaining things have happened to the TV execs in their time. I'm sure there's something that has gone wrong uh, that you've had to fix on set or something that's just randomly happened to you. Um, I wonder if you could share some stories.
Yes, any disaster stories. Hoban, go first. You've got plenty. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I mean, I'll lob in a softball early on the last show that uh, Justin and I did together. We were filming in Las Vegas uh, in the summer in a food truck where we had to put up lights. Um, so as you can imagine, that food truck quickly got up to around 160, 165 degrees. And then um, our lights started melting and falling into various uh, cooking instruments in the food truck. Um, that was a fun day. We might we uh, deep fried a GoPro to get a shot of food uh, bubbling in hot oil. Uh, I don't think we served that to anybody, and I'm I'm really hoping we didn't. But uh, we did that, and I don't think I'd recommend it. That's plastic. Did you have to dump out all the oil? We were making food TV. We weren't serving it in a restaurant. I think. Wait, did I hear you correctly, Hayden? Um, you said you fried a goat. Oh, I love fried goat, but no, a GoPro camera. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I did a travel show uh, that was all about really unique barbecue grills once, uh, one of which was a convertible car that promptly caught on fire and <laughs> completely burned to ashes in the midst of our shoot. I think uh, my, my favorite one was we were doing a restaurant called the Old Country Store, which, by the way, might actually have the best fried chicken in the world, which is the guy's claim. And it, the fact that he was actually a Westworld robot and just repeated the same stories over and over again all day wasn't the surprising part. It was that when we moved a line cooler um, out of the way in the morning to kind of reset his kitchen for filming purposes, Later in the day, one of the PAs came walking into the kitchen and literally fell through the floor up to his chest um, just out of nowhere. And I just started laughing hysterically because, I mean, I, I only started laughing after I knew he wasn't dead, but literally the floor had dropped out <laughs> from beneath him because it was an old country store. It was like a 120 year old, old like country building that somebody had probably built by hand. And uh, that spot had not been exposed in decades and he literally just fell through the floor so we spent our morning instead of dressing the kitchen pulling our pa out of the sub basement that is some of the best fried chicken in the world by the way you're 100 right um i'll leave you with one more for me i was doing a uh cooking show where our chefs often didn't know who they were cooking for and we'd have random different celebrities come in and surprise them and kind of scare the shit out of them and uh, we were doing a rock and roll themed episode for a certain celebrity's birthday. And all the foods were puns, like bad food, you know, red hot chili, John Mayo, blind melon wrapped, prosciutto melon balls, like all just terrible food puns. Um, well, the gentleman who was the birthday boy was actually uh, Meatloaf. And um, when I asked Meatloaf to sample some of the different kinds of meatloaf that we had prepared for them, he uh, scooped up a handful of raw hamburger and threw it in my face and instructed the talent to never let the producers tell them what to do. <laughs> Live in the dream. Lauren, do you have any good stories? Lauren was here, but she's popped back out again. Um, she is probably going to be back in a second. We'll ask her when she does return. Um, I think it's time for us to do a quick reset of the room. 
Um, everybody, welcome to our top food TV giants are back as a result from last month's wildly popular room that um, we had to bring them back. This is a chance of a lifetime where all of these top food TV execs are here under one room to give tips and help you hone in your personal stories. So we want each of you to invite three friends in so they don't miss out on this incredible program. Um, feel free to follow all of the mods on stage and also the people in the audience as you check out each other's bio. And let me repeat that um, uh, these TV execs don't want to hear your pitches of shows ideas. Just speak about yourself in 30 seconds with bullet points of um, what differentiates you from the rest. And be sure to bring your winning personality on stage when you speak. This is Chef Mimi and I'm done speaking. Thank you, Chef Mimi. Um, over to our next Farah. Go ahead. Oh, hi. Yeah, I was just about to say, Lauren, Lauren's um, uh, not able to make it, actually. But um, I, we're, we're here in the UK and it's midnight, so we've got um, early, early work to do tomorrow morning. But um, I just wanted to say I heard some really amazing um, people speak today and that, um, you know, your, sto your stories are inspiring. They are important. Um, as casting producers, we do go out and we look for people that have passion, that have energy, that have um, drive and that have um, or just want to be themselves and just can be happy talking about themselves and, and, and their food and their passions. And we do, um, you know, look out for us. Um, we, we're always putting uh, call outs on our casting, um, you know, pages, whether that's on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or wherever it might be. So, um, yeah, keep um, putting yourselves out there. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I know you've got a new um, show coming up for takeaways and restaurants. Is that right? Yes, I do. I'm going to I'm, I'm casting at the moment. Um, we just started. I can't reveal too much about it, but it's uh, we're looking for people in the UK that have um, that are um, that have takeaway food, uh, takeaway restaurants. And I'm afraid that's all I can say at the moment. I can't tell you. It's for a major broadcaster. It's going to be quite exciting. And um I can give you um, an email address. Um, where can I put that on if anyone's interested? Um, I think if you put it in your bio, uh, people will be able to pick that up from there. Um, Perfect. Everybody hurry up and follow Farah because she's about to leave. And uh, Farah, I've got, um, I run the Asian Restaurant Owners Network. So I've got over 2,100 restaurant takeaways on my brand. So in the UK. Um, so if you want to have a look at the, the top were notch ones from there happy to send some across absolutely i think um we've probably been in touch but um yeah I'd, I'd like oh to by sophie you maybe thank yeah, you there you go yeah yes sophie. Yeah, wicked. Cool. <laughs> no worries fantastic Tick. thank Done. you no problem have a great night <laughs> thanks bye take care so our next speaker up next is i believe michelle if i'm going in the right order uh correct me if i'm wrong michelle what's your question or short story in under 30 seconds to the uh, mods here hi um thanks for having me up first of all i want to say i love chef chris cho whoop absolutely amazing always um, <laughs> um always enjoy his content um so anyways um my story's a kind of a quick synopsis is um, was a chef working in New York City, um, went to Italy to do a stage. Long story short, met my husband, decided to stay home and raise my kids. 
Um, and I'm now just with my kids in college and thinking about getting back out there um, into the workforce. So um, I, you know, I guess I, you know, Italy's been done and redone, but there are so many small stories out there that still need to be told. There's a show over there called Linea Blue that is just absolutely gorgeous and shows the countryside and how food connects to, and the people who cultivate um, fish and produce food and, and how that all connects to their um, culinary culture. So, um, so I think there's still a lot more stories out there and I'd like to be able to tell them in some format. I was in a room the other day and um, some of the moderators were mentioning Roku or OTT TV, Glue TV. And um, because I haven't started yet, I don't have a YouTube channel. I mean, I have an Instagram, but because I haven't started yet, I didn't know if anybody could speak to some of these other formats and how they might work. Um, and my name is Michelle and I'm done speaking. Um, I can jump on this one. Or go ahead, yeah, go ahead, go Justin. Well, the OTT thing, and I've, I've actually been looking into this um, even since the last time we did this because somebody was asking about, you know, where you could find homes for some smaller, more niche ideas. And, man, they're definitely out there. There's a ton of stuff on these OTT uh, providers that, you know, I think Pluto and, and Roku both have like three or four different little food channels that are doing kind of unique programming or they're buying up stuff from from Europe and India and other countries. Um, and I think that it is good for the marketplace. Now they're produced a little uh, more cheaply, I should say. And, you know, they're not necessarily the, the caliber shows that you might find on a Netflix or Food Network or one of those other places. But at the same time, it's still more voices in the marketplace, you know, and even Vice has done stuff like there's there's definitely platforms out there and food TV is growing, not shrinking. Go ahead, Hayden. Yeah. So one of the companies I've been talking to here in Wisconsin, they have an OTT platform for non food space related things, but it's not generating the views that they thought it was going to. Their YouTube channels, Instagram, and TikTok is actually doing better. Um, I think it works. Um, I think it's sort of a symbiotic relationship that you need to be doing across all platforms to make the OTT drive content. And then also they have um, the infrastructure set up so they actually have their own channel. When I downloaded the channel, it's buggy. People don't really like it. Um, so I would say just put your stuff on the main, uh, the main social media platforms and then uh, use OTT stuff uh, if you could get it sold to a bigger platform like a Philo or a Pluto or one of those. Okay, thanks so much. I think Chef Joshua uh, was here earlier, but he got kicked back in the audience by mistake and um, he lost his space. So let's um, hear from Chef Joshua. Awesome. Thank you for having me. So my story is a little bit, uh, it has like a competitive nature. So I was a young cook. Uh, I started cooking based off necessity. Uh, my parents worked a lot. My dad worked long hours. And my mom would travel for four to six months at a time with Cambodian singers, touring the USA, doing shows with them. And I had a lot of pressure on me to be a professional baseball player. And I was, I was pretty good, but it wasn't my passion. I, I got into competitive cooking in high school. And my teachers kind of drove it in me like, hey, you're good at this. This is what you should do. And then soon after, I realized that, hey, I can make cooking a prof my profession. 
I went to go practice in my training at the Culinary Institute of America and working for the best chefs in the world, but I didn't start there. My first job out of Culinary Institute of America was at a Buffalo Wild Wings, which was uh, kind of sucky to go back to my hometown, like, hey, I went to the school and I'm gonna work in this chain restaurant. And then I had my friends from high school come in to the restaurant and see me working the line. I would try to hide from them and be like, hey, man, uh, didn't you go to culinary school and this is what you're going to do? And I'm like, I guess. <laughs> but since then, I've been applying for shows and uh, just starting to uh, learn. I've been t took an position from Comey to Chef de Cuisine. And I've, I really love cooking competitively and doing as many competitions as I can. I started creating content on all platforms. And that's kind of what I'm doing now. My goal is to bring people together through food and to get people to love food more. Um, I'm Joshua, I'm done speaking. Okay, before uh, everyone um, speaks, I'm sorry, let me jump in. Because you are too modest, you need to talk about, first of all, your uh, Love Food More project that, that uh, you're working on a grant right now, and also the fact that you've been trained, you know, with Michelin stars, and I just think you rock. So, I'm done speaking. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I mean, you can check uh, my links for where I worked. I, I recently was just at 11 Madison Park uh, working for the chefs uh, there. Uh, I trained a little bit on Nomad. I staged at Per Se as well. I had some experience with Chef Gavin Kaysen in, in Minneapolis, and I opened up his restaurant, uh, Belcor, and then also worked at Spoon and Stable for him. I worked for Iron Chef Morimoto, where I learned sushi for uh, a little over three years, and I've owned my own private chef catering company since I started cooking. So. Uh, yeah, a couple of years now. I, my love for food has always been like, what can I cook to make people happy? Uh, the thing that I always love doing is when people tell me that they don't like a certain dish or an ingredient, I'll make it for them. And it's kind of a risky move to make as a, as a personal chef because they hire me to make food that they're going to like for a special event. But uh, <laughs> if, they, if they don't like it, then I'm screwed. But I, I always take that risk and they always may be in the middle. So I'm pretty excited about that skill that I, ca that I have to introduce people to new flavors. Thank you very much, Chef Joshua. Yeah. And Bradley, go ahead. I I think I think that that there's a little angle there um, in, in making food that potentially people don't uh, you know perhaps don't even understand why they don't like it. Um, you know, perhaps there's something around uh, around that that you can uh, exploit for your uh, Love Food More blog. Uh, sorry, sorry, not blog, but your, um, your uh, of food, of Love Food More uh, podcast and, and uh, video. Because um, that's kind of interesting. It's like, why don't you like it? Um, so, uh, you know, good luck with that. I think that that could be something really interesting. You could bring someone on actually that uh, doesn't doesn't really like the food at all, and uh, have them taste it the way that you make it. Brussels sprouts with maple syrup. Anybody? I'm Bradley, and I'm done speaking. I agree with you, Bradley. Literally, I had this conversation with my dad last week. He always hated Brussels sprouts, but you know, he grew up in the, the 40s and 50s when his mom was making them out of a can, and then I made him, you know, just. Nothing even special, just like a glazed Brussels sprout or something, and he loved it, and he thought it was a completely different food. But I think it's an idea, and you could absolutely run with it. Like, call it, uh, I won't eat this, and, you know, have a person on that doesn't like a food and have three chefs uh, cook it for them. You know, there's a 
free show idea for you to pitch. <laughs> Yo, oh thank my you. gosh, that's literally my recipe. You know, Brussels sprout grill with fish sauce and honey. <laughs> it's got a free show there, Joshua. Yes, yeah, always a winner. <laughs> that's, that's coming soon. Thanks. Well, and truth be told, we've all eaten at Spoon and Stable, and we love that restaurant. <laughs> Awesome, thanks. Yeah, it's a great restaurant. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Joshua. Thank you, uh, Mod. One to our next uh, speaker, uh, question or um, story in under 30 seconds. We're going to Taylor next. Hey, I'm super excited to be here. So um, my name is Taylor, and I'm a self-taught cook and recipe developer. I think of cooking as a way of traveling in your kitchen and having the ability to visit the world from your kitchen. I know we've been in this pandemic for over a year and it's allowed me to kind of travel within my kitchen. Um, and I have a passion for creating recipes that mix health with indulgence. I love history of food and understanding the fundamentals of recipes. I would almost compare myself to a cross between like an Eingarten and Nigel Lawson because I enjoy the traditional methods of cooking along with keeping up to date with the current food trends. And I believe that I have a voice and personality to pull in a different kind of demographic of food TV viewers. Um, you know, I'm LGBT plus. Um, I think there's different areas that I can tap into that I'm not seeing as much on TV. And that's my story. Thank you. So let me, I want to ask you this question. Why should I care about you other than your differences? What makes your story unique to just the common average food television viewer? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the idea of being self-taught, um, I never went to culinary school. Um, it was one of those things that I learned naturally. I enjoyed, I read a lot. When I was a kid, I would always watch Food Network. I was with my grandparents always cooking. And I feel that I have that ability to bring in that knack of people who are kind of on the cusp of cooking. They don't know if they like it. Um, and also be able to relate. I think the thing with social media right now with Instagram and um, food bloggers is we're able to connect and relate to a lot of home cooks that feel very intimidated by a lot of the TV hosts. So I believe that I have the ability to show that home cook that things are natural. Um, people make mistakes. Um, not every dish comes out perfect. And I believe I have the ability to show that. That's a great answer. Thank you so much for saying that. I, I, I appreciate just the the kind of idea of, you know, in reality TV, we call them greenhorn stories a lot, where you show the audience the process of something by showing the new guy, you know, whether it be a logging show or a cooking show or whatever, you're kind of, the audience gets a chance to experience things through someone who hasn't done it before. And if you can find a way to tap into that as an expert greenhorn, um, I think that's a very unique perspective on it. Um, and along with your personality, like I, I didn't ask the question to, you know, belittle your personality or where it's coming from, but more to say that if you have that unique angle to go with that voice, then you definitely have the makings of something great. And I think that you have the exact right answer for that. You know, Justin, since we're on this topic, I have a question for you. So uh, we touch on diversity 
diversity earlier in the last um, episode when you were here and I know you are a big advocate of diversity so how can someone from a different ethnic minority background or LGBTQ plus community position themselves for TV uh, and are there more um, viable options available? I mean, I, I think, you know, we were just we just touched on it a little bit. And it's part of why I asked the question, because what you don't want to do, you don't want to rely on your diversity because that's not the actual story. Um, it can be a selling point, especially in the day and age where people are looking to promote diversity. But at the same time, those those diverse peoples are going to excel based on what else they have to offer as well. It's still an entertainment medium and it still needs um, not just a unique voice, but you know, a, a little more background to the story and it needs personality and it needs character. You don't wanna just rely on your diversity. And I think that that's one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is they stand up and they say, yeah, but I'm different than what you already have. And it's like, okay, and, and what else are you? What else can you do? Can you make the best whatever dish? Can you, do you have the most unique story? Do you, you know, yell and curse at people? What, what is it that still makes you entertainment and not just different? So, you know, it's never just about promoting, uh, it's never about denigrating what else is out there. And I think that a lot of times when you're promoting diversity, what you're saying is what's already out there is boring you know, okay, that's fine. Maybe it is, but why are you more interesting than what's already there? Those people are established. They've been there. There's a reason why there's, you know, 80 of the top 100 chefs on television are middle-aged white men. There's a reason for that because they went out there and said, I can be entertaining for the demographic and the market that you have. So if you want to compete against that, you have to not only say, hey, I'm, I'm different, but also I can fill the marketplace with this, with a certain angle, with a certain spin, with a different style, with just a whole lot of style and personality, with a great story. It still, it still needs those things. And that's what I'm trying to do as a producer to get more diversity out there. The, the simple task is to show that the diversity out there is just as compelling as when there wasn't any diversity, that the stories can be just as good, that the food is just as good, um, and that it's still entertainment. So uh, that's my th thing I would say to anyone from a diverse background to stay the course of being excellent, but also crack the story, play the game a little bit of you've got personality, you've got a story, you've got talent and ability, and don't just sell what's different about you. Thank you very much for sharing there. And um, yeah, I, I guess everybody is trying to find their niche and trying to find their positioning. So um, all of that valuable information. Our next speaker following on is the wonderful Mariana. Mariana, what's your question or story in under 30 seconds? Hello, Chef Rihan and Chef Mimi. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Um, Iglesias. I am a native of Brazil, but I'm also a woman of the world with many passions. 
from a very early age, I was exposed to all things beautiful in Brazil, from creating a floral arrangement to the display of a beautiful salad to adding the perfect object to complete the decor of a room. I was taught to see beauty in the very small things and the importance of authenticity in everything that I do. And in my design work and my cooking work today, I continue to be very, very intrigued by the hidden process behind design, what is not always visible to the eye, because I am a firm believer that whatever is bubbling underneath the surface has the power to influence our choices, both in design and in cooking and in fashion. And I call it, I prefer to call it a symphony where uh, I try to orchestrate and elevate the everyday with beauty. In an ideal world, if I have the privilege and honor one day, I would love to travel to Brazil and bring all of that to uh, the viewers because I think we have a truly a unique uh, story to tell, not just the vast and diverse cuisine, the Brazilian cuisine, but also the design and the fashion, uh, specifically Brazilian modernism, and how it started and how it's trending all over the world, um, but also incredible and very talented uh, fashion designers. And I would love to merge all of this into a beautiful um, cooking travel uh, show uh, with uh, these unique aspects uh, that uh, bridge everything together into uh, the exuberant country that Brazil is. This is Mariana and I'm done speaking. Thanks for the opportunity. Hi, Mariana. I, I, I'm Matt here. I'll jump in really quick because I remember your story from last time and I really liked it. Um, and so one thing we as producers get all the time, we'll get every once in a while an email from a different network or, you know, hey, over the next three months, this is what we're looking for. This is what we're looking for. And I actually got a thing just yesterday and it kind of cracked me up how many. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, we can talk all the stories and culture and beautiful stuff in the world. There's a lot of rich people who are vapid businessmen, businesswomen, and I'm an overweight 40 year old white guy who's married. Um, there's a lot of shitty people in this business. And sometimes a great way to get your idea made is to be willing to sacrifice that it's either not necessarily your idea or there's a way to expand it. And what I mean by this is I literally saw in this email uh, we want our own version of the Stanley Tucci show, obviously not with Stanley Tucci and not going to Italy. What is our Stanley Tucci in Italy? And just thinking about international culture shows, international travel shows, if there is a way to really, you know, who is uh, an international celebrity that, you know, a, a regular a TV watching Midwestern American, because I fully admit, I binge watched every episode of St Stanley Tucci searching for Italy, and I absolutely loved it. Um, but there's this weird fusion that's happening a lot of it's because of covid because a lot of people weren't working where there are many celebrities who are stepping into the culinary world the adventure world the travel world i mean i know there's a show coming out soon where it's literally just called ludicrous bakes ludicrous knows nothing about cooking i did a show with him years ago and it's just him learning how to cook um and you know it's very much in, in embracing that southern atlanta him getting back to his home roots vibe. So I guess where my blathering on this is going, and as you continue to think about it, and obviously we can talk in the future, is there a is there a Brazilian figurehead that could champion your idea 
that would make it easier to get into the room to try to sell the idea. This is Matt. And jumping on that, Matt, so have you pitched any ideas in Brazil? Are you familiar with any of the production companies there as a correspondent or as somebody that can get this done? I have not. Um, I think I'm, I'm still in the infant stages of uh, thinking of that idea, to be honest with you, Hayden and Matthew. I appreciate the feedback, and I think that could be something that, that I would do in the future. I just want to jump in real quick and just compliment you, Matt. I'm so impressed that you even remember Mariana from the last show. And uh, Mariana, your, your story reminds me of Hugh's story. Uh, who's also a fashionable chef. <laughs> Good luck with you. Wait, just a question. Mariana, were you doing like Brazilian fusion last time? Is that correct? Yeah, that's what I do. I just try to spin every, you know, dish that I make with a Brazilian flavor, a Brazilian spice, something that adds some color and, you know, vibrant, um, some vibrance to um, the dishes that I cook. Yes. Was there a Brazilian Chinese fusion? Was that what you pitched last time? No, no, no. It was okay. it was it was mainly Brazilian with uh, you know, like it was a tilapia sandwich that I think I described to you guys, where I added some uh Brazilian spices and herbs and uh plantains and capers and different flavors to make it all uh look or feel more like you were in a tropical island or at a bar outside you know, uh, in Brazil. Gotcha. Well, you know, as Matt said, uh, reach out to anybody in the Brazilian TV space or in Brazil's TV space and see if you can start it there. Will do. Thank you so much, Hayden. Can you do a great quick reset? Yeah, of course. So it's great to see um, over 500 people in the room today. Um, just flew up for a second. We had a nice visitor come in and ping a load of people in, which is great. Um, and just to reset the room, this is the Food TV Network Giants. They are back. They are talking to you about how to position yourself um, to get in on the Food TV Networks and where you can really start as well. So if you've got any questions, come and join us on the stage. Raise your hand. This is the Foodie Nerds HQ. Please feel free to hit the Monopoly House at the top there and follow the club. We have its uh, club owner in here today, Ciara. Um, thank you, Ciara, for joining us. Do you have a few words? Hey, guys. Um, I just want to thank you, Chef Rahan, Chef Mimi. Thank you, everyone who has joined the room. And thank you for our gracious TV execs for being here and sharing knowledge, sharing their wealth and laughs. So I just want to say I appreciate everyone. And I am done speaking. Thank you. Thank you, Ciara. Uh, we're going to move on to our next speaker, which is Santana. Santana, what's your question or story in under 30 seconds? Hey, how you doing, everybody? Uh, first of all, great platform. It's been a minute since I've been on Clubhouse, and this is something very nice to segue back into. Uh, but my name is Chef Santana Burris. I'm a chef and a mixologist. Uh, uh, I'm now based in Charlotte, North Carolina, over to the Culinary Institute of America. Uh, worked under like Marcus Samuelson, and right now I'm just a private. Well, right now I'm a private chef, and I do activations around Charlotte, just trying to cultivate the culture in this city. But the type of cuisine that I make is I, I like to call it modern diasporic food. Um, you'll see me connecting cultures uh, from the diaspora of Africans being dispersed. So you'll see flavors coming out the Caribbean, 
uh, the continent of Africa and then uh, the American South, of course. And I just like doing that, and I also like to associate my brand with uh, visual arts, music, as well as I've been learning how to kind of curate and storytell and also tell, I mean, actually slide, slide my love for astrology in there as well. So I've been working around doing things like that, like doing full moon dinners or making cocktails and dishes that kind of represents different astrological signs. So that's my story. Um, Chef Santana, thank you for having me. I love it, dude. Uh, I was just in Charlotte yesterday filming at uh, Bang Bang Burger, which was phenomenal, by the way. If anybody is in oh, town nice. and wants a burger, that's the spot. Um, I love it. Like, th- see, and this is what, what, what I was talking about before. It's, it's not just about being diverse, but it's about finding that unique angle. And I think that you have it. Um, you know, keep going with that and, and keep, like, put your flavor and your spin on the stuff that you're doing and, and staying involved, you know, whether it be a private chef or in a restaurant or working for somebody else. And of course I, I can tell you uh, you're a mixologist as well, which means you get my love and I'm sure you get Hoban's love. Um, Cause we love to have a cocktail every now and then. Yeah. And how does the astrology thing work with a menu and food? Definitely. So let's say like the last, um, like this full moon that just actually passed, which was in Scorpio, I didn't do anything for it. Um, but I think about like the sign, it's a water sign. So then I can start thinking about like watery flavors and things like that. If it's like in Gemini, like I remember I did something that was in Gemini. Um, I did two completely, I did two, I did two dishes. They had two different completely um, flavor profiles, but the same ingredients in there. And that kind of represents the twins and everything. So I just kind of curate and story tell through that. I just dig deep, deep, deep and deep uh, when I get, when I, when I do that. Are you are you putting those uh, dishes and those stories on YouTube and Instagram? Um, I put them on Instagram. I haven't really de- took a deep dive in um, YouTube. Only only things that kind of like if I'm doing like activations or like commercials or anything, then I just let that filter over uh, to YouTube. Okay, that's just really interesting. I mean, I don't think I've heard anything where they're tying food to astrological science. So keep doing that because at some point somebody's going to reach out to you uh, or you know, reach out to any of us because I don't know if there's a show there, but it's a really, really interesting way to approach food and synchronizing it with nature and uh, astrology. Definitely. Appreciate it. Thank you. I love, I personally love the astrology angle with the drinks, with the mixology. I mean, who, who wouldn't, who wouldn't be attracted to uh, a Scorpio cocktail? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I certainly would. So I would say I'd say definitely work work on the mixology part of it. You know, it's really opening up uh, in 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 a big way with all the uh, with all the liquor companies now being able to advertise. You don't know, you might get a sponsor just by uh, putting okay. together your astrology together. I think that's a brilliant yeah. idea. Astrology I'm, and cocktails. Yeah, I'm actually. You know what? I'm actually going. To, that's going to be my next event. Watch, I like that. Yeah, do that. Hey, Justin, what did you get from Bang Bang Burgers, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I would tell you, but it was actually the special we featured on the show, so I actually can't. But I can tell you that it involved uh, wasabi and a copious amount of mashed potatoes on a burger. Ooh, okay. (laughs) Because I saw they had a location coming to Common Market, Common Market, I think. Yes. And so I'm very interested. So thank you for that.
Uh, it's absolutely worth the trip. Yeah, one mistake we make all the time that Justin and I are sometimes particularly guilty of is we'll uh, post pictures of our lunch and then remember like, oh, wait, our lunch is on TV. We need to delete these photos. Delete, delete, delete. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't mind if we post it if it's not the special, but in our world, that's considered the spoiler. The You know, it's not really a spoiler that we went to a restaurant a lot of times or, or whatnot because they have to say that they're closed for filming and this, that, and the other thing. And we want the publicity, but it's a spoiler if we give away what dish is being featured because some other show might snatch it or word gets around and the network doesn't get to promote it the way they want. So we can't typically say the dishes that are done on these shows, but a lot of times we can say where we were. It is also the biggest perk of our jobs. Not going to lie. Thank you so much for sharing. And I guess um, more to come. We'll keep an eye on that. And you can follow Chef Santana's uh, IG just by clicking on his profile there uh, and clicking on the Instagram icon. Our next speaker, who I missed in the count, is Alexa. Alexa, thanks for your patience. Uh, Welcome to the stage. What's your story or question in under 30 seconds? Hello. Hi. Thanks for getting back to me. So, um, yeah, I have a bit of a different perspective than everybody else here. I'm actually a former television news reporter. So I was reporting in lo- local news. I know I think Hayden said you're from Wisconsin. I reported in Wisconsin for two years. Um, so I did that whole shebang for about five years before I transitioned into food media. And my lens has definitely been more of a storyteller interviewer, um, I guess, host rather than say someone who's going to compete on, you know, chopped unless they did, I guess, amateurs. Um, I actually also am a food editor. I work full time for the feed feed, which is a food media publication. Um, so yeah, I would definitely consider myself a food journalist, but interviewing people, telling stories, um, that's always been my passion area and combining my journalism chops with the food space that I've loved very dearly my whole My whole life with both of my parents in the restaurant industry, their whole careers and growing up around that. Um, That's been kind of a dream come true for me. But I guess my question for the panel, if you don't mind me asking, and I I don't know if anybody touched on this earlier, I joined kind of midway. But um, as you can probably tell, like, yeah, I I have a really great job and I'm really lucky to have this job. And, you know, my resume is great and I've worked really, really hard, but I don't necessarily have the social media following that, you know, some other folks may have and who may kind of jump, you know, if you guys are scouting for talent for shows as hosts and even competitors, whatever it may be, you're probably going to, you know, lean more towards people who are jumping out at you for having a lot of followers. And that's not something I have. So what do you recommend as a good way to kind of set myself apart as I kind of continue to grow my social presence to kind of balance out like, hey, I have a lot of experience and passion, but Correct me if I'm wrong. I would assume I'm not really catching a whole lot of people's eyes just based on like my following and, you know, that I I haven't made a huge splash on social media. So just any tips and advice on how to stand out and kind of bridge that gap. So, hey, Alexa. uh, Okay, I'm going to let you know I'm not from Wisconsin. I just currently live here. Okay, Um, yeah, well, good. But but to your point, like, do you have a you do have a uh, column that you write or a blog? Um, yeah, well, I'm a food editor for the Feed Feed, so it's a large social media publication that I regularly, like, um, I, I kind of do a bit of what you guys do. You know, I source talent, but I also regularly host videos, live videos, um, you know, food, like, reels, TikToks, you know, whatever it okay. may be. So, yeah, more video. And is it uh, region-specific, or is it all over? Nope. Uh, international. Okay. I mean, I we're, asking- I'm based in New York, but, you know, we cover content from all over. 
Okay. So, you know, when I was doing uh, Kitchen Nightmares, we, whenever we get to a city or an area where we need an, an expert or a food blogger or somebody to write about what we were doing, um, we would reach out to the local bloggers, local, you know, whether it's Tasty or whoever, and um, just find out who was available, who had a good rapport that we could build on their resume. You know, it's changed a little bit in the last five or six years where people are looking for Instagram followers and TikTok followers and all of that. But your resume still speaks for itself. And um, if you can provide an actual actual feedback and you have a large audience, uh, it doesn't really matter what your TikTok and Instagram followers are as long as you're a game to either be put on TV or to kind of play the game, if you will, where you're like, hey, this is somebody that's in town. You know, we can get them to come up and review the food. Um, and, and I don't mean it in like a negative way. I mean it more in like that you understand that for TV, it's like we, we upsell people. And then uh, eventually that builds on their resume and they become um, food bloggers on bigger things. And I can give you an example, and I don't know if she's on here, but Krista Simmons um, was had graduated uh, Berkeley, Berkeley, I believe, and she was a food writer for LA Weekly. And we put her on Kitchen Nightmares um, because we needed a food blogger in Ventura and she was available. She came and did it. And I believe she's now writing for Food and Wine and uh, the LA Times. And she built off of her experience with us. So, you know, just keep, just be available for the game and you can build on that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Thank you. I'd also throw in that, you know, from a hosting standpoint, you may want to look into an agent or manager or someone along those lines um, because it looks like you're you're building the right kind of resume to look at it from more of a, a talent perspective of a host and a presenter. And a lot of times, you know, agents and managers are the ones that will find that kind of work for you. And if you have the right kind of setup, they're not, it's not going to be detrimental because they're only there to take 10% of what you make. And if you're not making anything, they're not making anything. So it behooves them to go out and find you work. And then if it doesn't work out, you might not be any worse off than you already are. Um, so you may want to look into some type of talent um, representation as well, if you're really serious about trying to get into the hosting and presenting space. And say yes to even the the smallest thing if it puts you on TV to get started. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, I looked along, to, uh, you know, before I got this job and not to, you know, chat your ear off, but yeah, before I got the full-time job that I'm lucky to have now, obviously during the pandemic when things were rough, I, you know, it was hard in this space to kind of get taken on as talent, you know, for, for, you know, agencies and managers and whatnot. But I would, you know, I would hope that after, you know, eight plus months of me doing what I'm doing at the feed feed and kind of building that out even more, I would hope that I'd be a kind of more appealing in that sense for representation. So it's definitely kind of a good kick in the butt to <laughs> get looking for it again. And I am full disclosure, a pretty ballsy gal. So everybody keep your eye open on your DMS cause I'll be sliding in. <laughs> that's honestly, look, that's what it takes. You, if you, if you want to be talent at the front and the, the name on the show and leading a presentation of any kind, you have to be a little bit of a shameless self-promoter or you're going to have to pay somebody to be a shameless self-promoter for you. Uh, it just helps because, you know, like, look, we, we, a bunch of us, we produce TV shows, but that doesn't mean we know what all the talent out there is. And the ones that we're going to find a lot of times for hosting a show are the ones that are brought to us from, from one reason or another. So it looks like you are just from briefly even looking at, you know, what you've done, 
it looks like you are definitely on that kind of path. Stay on it, just keep building the resume, keep putting yourself out there, and eventually somebody will take you on as a client and start putting you out there in front of other stuff. And then it's just a matter, and I say this for any aspect of the entertainment industry, you have to be prepared for luck. You do have to get lucky, but when you do get lucky, you have to be ready and prepared to strike and just go after it. Awesome. Thank you, guys. The only other thing I would add to is don't <clears throat> don't go thinking that just because you're not a professional chef that it's not going to happen. Um, as I said earlier with the you know the Stanley Tucci show, um, at least for the travelogue food shows, yeah. And no disrespect to any of the chefs or anybody on here, but sometimes some of the best travelogue food food shows are people that are just more of the everyman, the every woman that you know you're watching them be exposed to new foods and new cuisines for the first time and as an audience member i'm going oh i don't know what that's like either and instead of hearing the more technical gastro you know fancy names there's somebody who's explaining what this food tastes like in layman's and laywoman's terms so don't feel like just because you are not a classically trained professional chef you're you know one foot in the hole not out yeah yeah, thanks. That's good to hear because obviously, you know, in this space kind of being up against, you know, elbow to elbow with people who are very, you know, talented chefs, you know, that are doing huge things on social media and TV and wherever. I'm like, oh, geez, like I don't have that much to teach. But that is kind of my jam, like the learning and the hearing from people and the, you know, kind of learning those stories and telling those stories. That's kind of my sweet spot. So that is good to hear you say that that is a thing that people are interested in. Well, to uh, to jump on that, the show that Matt, Justin, and I just did. The host uh, for the Netflix show was not a chef, and he has a show on Netflix. So just put that into perspective. Hey, good to hear. Yeah, it's aspirational, you know? It's, uh, you could be the every woman who, uh, who learns about everybody. Yeah, that's my goal. That is definitely my goal. So this, yeah, very, ins- very inspiring and a good, like, kick in the, kick in the booty to – get back to it. And, you know, while I do love my job, yeah, it's always, you know, there's a dream and there's, you know, something I've been working for my entire career. So (laughs) I'm glad this room came up. Thank you guys so much. And thanks for sharing as well. Let's uh, move on to our next speaker, which is Zulia. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Zulia, in under 30 seconds, uh, what's your question or story? Hi, Rihan. Hi, Chef Mimi. Thanks for having me. Uh, My name is Zulia. in the social media, um, people know me as Naturally Zuzu. I um, grew up in a former Soviet Union in a Central Asia and country called Uzbekistan, immigrated to the United States in 1997. Um, my family uh, came here as a political refugees. Um, so we had to start everything from, from scratch when we moved here. Um, I um, went to school in Russia, and when I moved to the United States, um, I worked in a corporate world, you know, uh, climbed the ladder, a corporate ladder, ladder, and had a really, really well-paid job. But when I was in my early 40s, I um, decided to change my career, actually. Um, uh, my job was quite stressful. Um, it was making me sick. One thing led to another. I was changing my diet. I went completely plant-based. And during that time, I was inspired um, by um, a lot of the plant-based recipes I was actually looking through on the website and YouTube. And I decided why not to uh, recreate the, some of the recipes that I grew up eating back home, being inspired by my grandmother, by my mother, and make them vegan. So I decided my, uh, to, to start my blog called Naturally Zuzu. 
Uh, and um, now, uh, you know, my, my blog has been around for about five years. I have a community of over 135,000 followers, and I share unique plant-based recipes on my blog. Um, my question is, you know, I'm, um, I'm in my 40s, and, you know, I, I feel like I inspire women who are in their 40s who are thinking about changing the career, their career, and um, not... Um, <laughs> and being concerned most of the time, right? Oh, you know, how can I change my career in my 40s and still be successful? And I feel like I am that poster child for those women who um, could quit their well-paying jobs and still do well in a, in a, in the next um, in the next passion they follow. Or I always say, follow your heart, follow your passion. And um, I feel like that's exactly what I did. Um, my blog is quite su quite successful. Um, I do um, a lot of TikToks as well, um, showing food styling for people who are um, into uh, styling their food. But most importantly, I like to share my passion for plant-based food. I always challenge myself to... Um, uh, to make uh, something that I grew up eating, something traditional that was heavy in me to make it plant-based. And uh, this is what I share in my, in, my, uh, in my blog and on my social media platforms. Uh, my question was, uh, is there an opportunity to create a vegan cooking show when maybe a chef's would be thrown up a challenge um, to create a vegan dish um, from a traditional, let's say, you know, heavy protein dish or something like that. Um, um, is there anything out uh, out in the TV world that's um, happening right now, you know, in regards to plant-based? I feel like the future of food is plant-based. And um, do you think we're going to be seeing more of those shows on television pretty soon? I'm Zulia, I'm done speaking. Hey, Zulia, I, everybody needs content. Okay. And um, as everybody continues to uh, go through it at, at mass rates because of COVID, um, they're going to put on whatever is working and whatever is selling. I, I think we talked about it. I can't remember who it was earlier. Maybe Chef Chris. Uh, we were talking about the fact that, like, he was just – oh, sorry, Chef Michael. He was just a step ahead of the curve uh, with the keto stuff. And I think the vegan thing is just as important. And if you can make – uh, sexy, tasty food that's vegan, uh, then you can absolutely uh, get it on TV. It comes down to personality, the story behind it, what you want to do, and um, if you're interesting. It's as simple as that. I will, I will also add, though, that it is, yeah. uh, and I'll let Bradley jump in, that it is difficult. Don't think that it's not difficult. Uh, I have had executives, uh, network executives and production company executives uh, really give me a lot of crap for trying to put vegetarian and vegan dishes on shows at times. Um, and literally there's one particular show that I've worked on where I've gotten two out of thousands of dishes uh, on it that were vegetarian. It is very difficult. Uh, it, it is harder to get plant-based food on some of these shows currently. But again, and we talked about this with a lot of the food trends out there and the healthier trends, that these things are starting to change and they are becoming more commonplace in the market and executives are starting to see that there is merit to it. So, you know, hang in there, stay with it. Don't give up on what your passions are just because the marketplace isn't 100% supporting them yet because I feel that there is a time and a place for everything. But just keep doing the work because you will be found if you keep doing the work. 
Thank you. That was quite useful. I appreciate you guys. Uh, Bradley, did you have something to add in there as well? I know your mic was off earlier. Uh, no, I think J uh, Justin covered it. Okay, thank you very much. Um, on to our next speaker, which is Arjun. Arjun, in under 30 seconds, what is your short story or question to the moderators here? Hi, everyone. Um, first, I just want to say thank you to Mimi for inviting me to this. It's uh, been such a lovely chat. Um, I'm Arjun. I uh, live in San Francisco, and I've really lived all over the place and had the pleasure of uh, having like a, a broad palette as a result. I was... Um, uh, raised in London uh, by an Indian uh, father and an Australian mother. We lived in Tokyo for a while, and then we lived in the U.S. Um, I'm not a professional chef, but I love food. And I found that um, cooking is kind of like a superpower if um, you know how to sort of like hone the right things. And I've spent the maybe the last 10 years or so getting really good at, um, you know, turning things that I um, take from the farmer's market into something that I would really enjoy. And, um, you know, to be honest, I don't even have like a, an interest in, in like being on television so much as, as I do just like sharing what it means to, um, to get people cooking healthy food again um, and thinking about food from like this broader sense of, of like how it can be part of your um, like journey in, in sustainability. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've really enjoyed the chats and um, I'm more than happy to uh, share with uh, more. Um, my, uh, if, if you uh, PTR or pull to, to refresh, my image is a uh, picture of my ratatouille that I make. Um, and yeah, uh, I really would love to uh, learn more from everyone else. Thanks, Arjun. Thanks for sharing. And uh, if you pull down your screen, you'll be able to see the Ratatouille that Arjun has on his picture. Click on that picture and click on it again and it will go full screen. And you can take an in-depth look at that. So thanks, Arjun. Uh, we're off to our next speaker now, which is Chef uh, Sia or Saya. I'll let you correct me on that one. Fire away. Hi, it's Chef Sia. So I'm a Nigerian British chef. I focus on modern techniques showcasing Nigerian cuisine. My mantra is actually to cook is to be happy, to be cooked for is divine. I'm quite passionate about bringing Nigerian cuisine to the forefront of modern, of the modern culinary world by just reinventing Nigerian, the Nigerian food image and more or less doing that by creating avenues for all types of food to coexist in the same space. Thinking of speaking. Thank you very much for sharing there. Really appreciate um, that. And I'm sure um, on your quest uh, to change that space, it always takes time. I'm going through something similar at the moment, trying to change the landscape of Asian hospitality here in the UK. Um, be great to connect on Instagram as well um, to see where maybe there's some overlap there too. Um, we're off to Farfar next. Farfar, what's your question in under 30 seconds or short story? Oh, hello. Um, thank you, uh, Mimi, for putting me in. Um, so my name is Farfar and I run in Dubai. Farfar, I've got a YouTube channel. Farfar? Um, yeah, hello. Could you speak a little bit louder, please? Thank oh, you. can you hear me now? Oh, is it much better? 
Yes, much better. Thank you. Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> okay, sorry. So yes, I do run um, a YouTube channel called Indu Dubai Fafa, and I do talk about West African food. Um, I specialize in the flavors and the story behind it. So a little bit of my background, um, I'm based here in the UK, um, but a little bit of my background, um, I come from a town that borders between Ghana and Togo. And of course, Ghana was colonized by the British and Togo by the French. And we have both family homes in each. I think when they demarcated it, it went through our house. So we end up with one house in Ghana and another house in Togo. So from a very early age, it's like we just cross the border, go to our aunties in the next place in Togo, and they will use the same ingredients, but they cook differently and it tasted differently to whenever we came to the Ghana side of it. So that got me intrigued as to the African flavors. And then when I moved to London, um, I'm married to an English gentleman. And um, of course, he liked his English dishes. And I also liked my Ghanaian dishes. So I had to find a happy medium. And that started my creative cooking journey, where I started fusing the African flavors that I was accustomed to, to the English palate as well. Um, subsequently, I have done a few features on um, ITV, BBC, CNN, I've done all those a little bit. I've had my cookery show as well before. And now I'm doing um, the YouTube channel, um, only because I had been working in the insurance industry for about 11 years. And unfortunately I got made redundant. So in January this year, I've decided to then create my own online grocery shop, uh, which would centralize on the best flavors that Africa actually has to offer. But of course, with that fusion of flavors. Um, and also to pay homage, um, for example, like my mom um, talked to me about my grandma and um, she was just telling me about my grandma making this roast chicken when they were very young. Bear in mind, my mom is 70 anyway, when they were very young and um, she would place the chicken in a clay bowl, in a clay pot, but then have um, cassava, which is like yuca manioc, grated at the bottom of it, and she add little spices to it. And she goes, oh, when it drips into it and like it's roasted in the clay oven, um, the taste is so divine. So I was like, hmm, how did grandma think about that? And that like, this will be like a 70 year old and over recipe. So I tried it myself and it was to die for. So I became curious as to, you know, our cultures, even though like, yes, it's Ghana, whatever. And I'm just like, oh, curious about the tribal influence um, on the borders um, of the continent. And so, yes. Us, sorry, sorry to interrupt. What, what's the question um, here as well, please? Oh, yeah. So the question really is if I don't know if any of the Zegs are interested um, in actually doing any documentaries about the African food history and journey at all. That's my question. Thank you. And I'm done. I think we're always interested in the lots of food cultures, and you know, especially myself, I am absolutely interested in in those stories. But it also depends on the projects that are out there and where they fit into them. But I think that it is definitely a, a fun space to work in and looking at where food has come from and how it's influencing people now. Thank you. Thanks, Justin. Uh, Tinja, 
up next. Hi guys, I wasn't able to ask this question last time. <clears throat> so my question is, how important is it to have a reel and what exactly goes in the in the reel that you know executives look at? And the reason why I'm asking is because as a travel and food blogger, <clears throat> a lot of times I'm hired for like a lot of uh, creating online content for tourism boards and other platforms uh, based on my social media videos alone. But I know like that probably doesn't necessarily fly for TV shows. So I'm curious to ask about those two questions. Thank you. I'll jump in on this. Uh, so, you know, just personality. Um, show some highlights, show some moments where you're having a lot of fun with um, whoever the guest or whoever the chef or whoever it is that you're interviewing or participating with. But also don't be afraid of um, the mess ups. They want, basically, we want to see how you handle yourself if something doesn't go according to plan. Because a lot of times, like those moments, the, the verite in those moments is just like what makes you sing as a person. And um, if you know that you stay composed or you laugh and have a fun laugh, like people are gonna be like, oh, that's how I would react too. And those are the moments that really shine. Like if you're too presentary or you're too uh, rigid, you, it translates on camera. But if you're just a fun loving person and you don't really care how it goes, like you're just like, oh, this is great. Oh my God, never thought of that. Or, you know, whatever it may be. Those are the moments that sing for us. Got it. And is there a specific format though? Like, of, you know how normally for a lot of videos, there's like a story format because some of the reels I see, it just looks like a bunch of chopped up like video segments and there's no, I guess there's no like storyline to it. I mean, that is pretty much, um, hello everyone, Janelle again, I'm back. Um, <laughs> um, that is pretty much how a reel is because you're take you're picking and choosing um, from all of the best moments that you think are, are, are your highlights, right? Or like the best things that you've experienced doing the things that, that you're doing that you want to show off. Um, if you want to have fun with that and, you know, set it up and organize it in a way that is like, you know, sectioned out, like these are, these are the types of things that I want to show in this category. And then and I'm going to do a bunch of clips in a different type of category um you know you can have fun with how how you present it but for the most part it is just a bunch of different highlighted clips can i jump in on this one this is bradley go for it uh just uh wanted to wanted to say that you know similar to what justin said about stories have a beginning middle and end I would love to see a reel that took that showed you uh, telling a story from beginning, middle, from the beginning to the middle to the end, um, even if it's just a very short clip of 10 to 15 seconds or whatever. Um, that would be really great. I don't need to see chopped up reactions and stuff like that. I, I, I know all about that. Um, but really kind of seeing you do the host journey uh as the hero's journey would be uh would be something really great and that's uh this is bradley and i'm done speaking thank you bradley uh and thanks for everyone's input there i hope that answered the question uh ross to our next speaker uh who is soon i hope i said that right if not please do feel free to connect me correct me and uh 30 seconds what's your story or what's your question to the uh mods here today 
Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Sean Rita. Quick story. It's not my story. It's my husband's story. You can call me his wifeager, I guess. Um, born and raised in Nigeria. Um, he's a identical twin. Him and his twin are both chefs. He was able to come to America to pursue his culinary dreams. Um, that's basically a quick gist of it. Um, my question is, if you may not necessarily be trying to get on like national shows like Master Chef or Chop things like that, but you're um, you want to start locally. How would you? Um, what are suggestions to get your foot in the door? I'm done speaking. Uh, I could take that. We kind of touched on it earlier when John was still here, um, you, you know, and you never know where it can take off. But it it really is like a local TV affiliates. Like, is there a little pop-up event that the, they want to cover? Are you doing a charity event or, a you know, some sort of like big feast for the community? Is there some sort of dish that, you know, they might want to have you on their kind of wacky morning show and teach people about you'd be surprised how just by like reaching out to your your local tv affiliates because they need content too and they're constantly trying to think of something fun or something new or something different about their city or their neighborhood or their community and you know to your point with your husband and his, his brother's story that would be very compelling on the local level and who knows where it could go from there matt out and it never hurts to be on any sort of soundstage because it looks more professional. And you can take that for your reel and just keep building on that. Just hating them out. So would you, are y'all suggesting just like sending emails out to local um, news channels, affiliates, things like that? Or um, how would you suggest reaching out? A hundred percent or just call the desk and say, do you guys, are you looking for human uh, interest stories uh, that have a food uh, beat to them and they need to fill the content and it may not be this week. It may not be next week, but um, John had a very good point of saying, Hey, we're doing a, a Nigerian Thanksgiving uh, feast and we'd like to showcase it. And that might be enough just to get somebody to be like, Oh, we'll take a chance on that. Thank you very much, Hayden. Um, hopefully that, that has answered your question there. Um, get into that desk, get that story in, uh, and, and go from there. So Six Pack Chef, you're up next. Uh, Wallace Wong, uh, what's your short story in under 30 seconds or your question to the TV execs? What's up, Chef Ryan and Mimi? Thanks for her joining this group. I've been loving listening. Um, yeah, so my name is Wallace, and um, I also go by Six Pack Chef, which is my personal brand that's based on really like the three pillars of my life, which is food, health, and fitness, and lifestyle. Now, like from the chef side, I'm a Michelin starred chef. I worked at Noma, Linea. I've opened up, you know, Momofuku Toronto. I've competed on shows like Chopped and Top Chef Canada and Fridge Wars. But I'm also the fitness side comes from the national level bodybuilder for Canada. And I compete internationally. And then finally, the lifestyle part for me is like I'm a cancer survivor. So like this whole mismatch has created what people now know me as my full time as six pack chef. And it the whole thing about it is that I've found this drive to show and inspire people that to eat good, look good and live great. That's really like sort of my goal in life. And it's to show people, you know, delicious food can be healthy versus a lot of times most people think that I'm trying to make healthy food taste delicious. So 
the thing that's been that's sort of been in my mind and what I've been wanting to do is that I've been trying to share this message and using my social platforms to do this, whether it's through Instagram, TikTok, um, YouTube, etc. And I've been told by brands or people that I just work with that I've got this great niche, but from a production standpoint, there doesn't seem to be interest or that it's too nutritious or health-based. And I'd love to get um, just the vibe or even thoughts of concept like this from some of you guys right here. So thank you. I was I was saying some of this earlier. It's yes, there is uh, difficulty getting into the marketplace, coming at it from healthy because it, it really is a genre that is um, seen success with competition-based stuff and with unhealthy food in a lot of ways. Um, but look into alternate venues. Um, I know for a fact that that both WebMD and Healthline are two giant websites, multi-million dollar companies that are looking to do more stuff in the food space. And that might be a good way to approach it because they're already coming from that side of it. Breaking into the other side um, can be a little harder, but please stick to it because uh, I love your story already and what you're saying and what you're about and what you're doing. And I hope that you are able to find a great venue to get that out there. So please, please, for all of our sakes, keep pressing on with it and, you know, hit me up in a DM. And if there's anything I ever find uh, that lends itself towards you, I would definitely pass it on to you. Um, Sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say the only other thing I would say if, you know, obviously your mission is true, but maybe it's rebranding the message. Like, what is a more entertaining way to, like, you know, not to go back to, like, the torture biggest loser overweight people days, but, like, what is a different format or a different showcase to, to, to package your message, but to, to, to make it seem more mainstream, fun, and flavorful, and almost kind of, like, fool people into learning as well. Like, if you're, if you're feeling like you're hitting a wall on the message, but people are saying it's a great message... Maybe just think about a different package for how that message is delivered. And I want to jump in really quick. Also, think about everybody that's in the space that you want to be in that doesn't have a, any food content, like a T Nation or an On It or any of those guys, and see if you can partner with them by doing the work that they're not already doing. Just hating them, I'm done. And I have done a show that, that was kind of in your space. I did a show called Fat Chef, which I've said before I hated the name, but it was about chefs losing weight. And um, one of the stars of that show was Brett Hobel, who was a trainer on Biggest Loser for a while, but he's also a dietitian and he helps people with diet and food and other stuff. And, and he has a very similar kind of story, though he comes more from the fitness world. And he found a space to tell that story in, and he's been very successful in kind of the same ideology that you have. So it can be done, but maybe even think about partnering with somebody like that and and coming up with a unique spin and angle on it that keeps it entertaining because that show, you know, was really sold on the, the, you know, overweight people struggling to lose weight and kind of the salacious nature of it. But at the same time, there was really a heartfelt story. And at the end of the day, seven of those eight chefs that were on that show were way healthier and lost hundreds of pounds and and did great and wonderful things and i'm still friends with like three of them so you know there there can be a way to tell those stories but you may have to look at the angle that is going to be what attracts people to to hearing those stories and seeing that journey for people in getting healthier and getting to where you are 
you know, as a healthier person in the food industry. And, and to Justin's point, like Bizarre Foods, everybody thinks about it as a uh, guy eating weird foods, but it was really a cultural anthropology show sharing cultures, not just eating Bizarre Foods. And it was just the way it was packaged and sold. Got it. I, I think like, first off, all everything that just happened right now was really, really like my mind's all boggling and just thinking about it. So really, really appreciate it. And it's cool because another thing that I think, Justin, you just brought up was the whole like, or, and even Hayden too with like T Nation and on it is that I also do personal training. Like I've done, I do online personal training and stuff. And I feel like sometimes when I'm trying to convey what value or that niche or that angle that I can bring, because of all these angles that I'm pulling, a lot of times I get the questions of, so are you going to teach me how to cook? Are you just going to do a little bit of training? Is this more like weight loss thing? So yeah. Okay. Just pick a lane, say, here's what I'm going to tell you. And as the, as you build on that brand or that lane, everything else will fall back into it because you'll start to get additional questions because of that. Uh, I'll tell you what I see just, just from hearing your story and your personality, what you probably want to do is yes, pick a lane, but you need a bigger lane because what you're really saying is that you're a life specialist. You're going to help transform people's lives and it may be with fitness. It may be with food. It may be with inspiration, but go, go with the broader picture, go with the bigger story for now. And maybe somebody will push you down one of those routes. But I think that will answer that question for people when they query you about, you know, what is it? Are you going to teach me how to cook? No, I'm going to teach you how to transform your life. I'm going to teach you how to experience life a better way. And if that's your story, it's going to be hard for people to not find it compelling. That, that was it. Chef Wallace, I was checking out your Instagram and dang, you do have a six pack and I wish you best of luck to uh, keep up and maintain your physique because when you have a name like Six Pack Chef, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure to, to maintain it. So best of luck with that. And um, we are winding down to, uh, you know, it's, it's past the two hour mark of the room and um we are here with our special guests, all of the top food TV network giants under our room to share their knowledge and insights on how to leverage yourselves for TV. Um, we want to thank you for pinging in your friends in the room because the last time I asked you to each ping in three people, you did it. At our peak, we had over 1,000 listeners in the room and uh, the room is still going strong and we're going to kind of have to uh, close it soon. So we want to thank you for being here and for your support. Um, just want to share this incredible room with everybody. So we have a few minutes left, maybe 15 minutes. If you want to invite a couple more friends to, um, to listen in and benefit from the room. My name is Chef Mimi Lan and together with Chef Brahan Udin, who's my partner with several clubs that we co-founded. Uh, and we have weekly rooms on various food topics. To um, So please take a follow, both of us, as well as everybody on stage here, so you don't miss out on all of the future rooms that we do. Um, coming up, we will have interviews with Michelin star chefs and lots of exciting things. Thank you to Chef Ciara for letting us host this incredible room under her Foodie Notes HQ. Back to you, Chef Rahan. Thank you, Chef Mimi. Matt? Okay.
Uh, I'll jump in for Matt. Actually, guys, I, I appreciate you guys having us on. My kids are hungry. I actually have to go feed them now. Um, but I want to thank everybody for letting us uh, come up on stage and also the, the uh, what you guys are doing for the chef community and helping us find additional people to put on TV because we want to make sure everybody ends up on television. The more people that have a story to tell uh, gives us the benefit of s stories to actually tell on TV. So I want to thank everybody, and I've got to run. But thank you for having us up. Thanks, Aiden. Oops. Later, buddy. Sorry about that, Thank guys. Somehow my, somehow my ear pods dying opened my microphone. That's the first for me on here. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I wanted to throw up one more thing. Uh, we are casting for, the new, for family dinner with Andrew Zimmern. So if anybody wants to um, apply for that, it's in anywhere in the U.S. Uh, the fifth photo on my Instagram has all the casting information for the show. So it's a great way to try to get your family on TV or to show what you can do. So thank you, guys. Thanks, Aiden. We're on to our next speaker, uh, which is Loena, I believe. Uh, Loena, nutrition detective. Uh, what's your <laughs> short story in under 30 seconds or a question? Hello, Chef Mimi. Hello, Chef Rahan. Thank you so much for bringing me up. Hey, everyone. It is a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. And I just want you guys to know that you are speaking with the hashtag Breakfast Mom Nutrition Detective. I'm the founder and owner of The Excellent Breakfast Company. And how did that come about? Yes, that's the egg you eat, The Excellent Breakfast Company. Nine years ago, I rushed my son to the emergency room because he had a severe allergy and asthma attack. And that changed my life. Why did it change my life? Because allergies do not run in my family and it doesn't run on his father's side of the family. So I actually was thrust into the world of homeopathy and I had to learn all I could about food and food is medicine. So I took food as medicine modalities and I started making healthier, nutritious foods, which was way different from the way I was raised because my mom died when I was two years old and I was raised by my great aunt, my grandfather's sister, who had a second grade education and she was from Arkansas. And so basically when I was a kid and growing up, I thought pork ribs, St. Louis style pork ribs, snoot sandwich, which is a pig's nose and candied yams was the best thing on earth. But when I had my son, this kid had food allergies. I found out that, nope, it's good to me, but it wasn't good for me. So I ended up having to learn how to make healthier meals and develop delicious recipes, and I've never looked back. So if you were to meet my son today, which is the young man in my profile picture, he is 10 years old, and now he has barely any traces of allergies and asthma, and he is living proof that eating right and eating healthy is a change maker. It has not only changed his life, but when we went to the pediatrician and his new allergist doctor, he was like, so you do food as medicine? You believe in that? I was like, sure. I was like, I teach my clients how to do it. I live it every day in my household. And yes, food's medicine. After he ran his test results, he said, you know what? Whatever you're doing, keep doing it because um, this kid does not, it does not appear that he has asthma. It, I mean, like whatever you're doing, it's working. So keep doing it. Even though he was skeptical, he had to give me my props. <laughs> so I just want you guys to know, um, you know, 
I believe that, you know, food is medicine. It can change your life. And even after we, you know, eat all the great food that we have and eat all the nostalgia that goes along with our food ideas, um, someday you may have to come back around and revisit, revisit um, what you're eating. And I am a big proponent of you can eat what you want. However, it is the sourcing that is ultimately important. And this is what I teach to my clients and the parents in my Kids Food Academy on Facebook. And so I teach them, which I just finished my cooking class. Loena. Yes. Sorry to interrupt, but um, we are winding down and we have a few people to um, go through before we shut down the room. Okay. So I'm done. Wrap it up. Thank you. Thank you. I got to jump in real quick, though. Loena, I love it. Um, I have a food allergy myself. I'm definitely allergic to tree nuts. And my son has um, some of the same issues that you were talking about. So I'm going to get with you. I'm going to follow your Facebook and I'm going to start learning some of this stuff from you because I have a son with asthma and allergies to all this stuff. So I need to I need to learn all of these things from you. Absolutely. Please reach out to me. Anyone who's a parent. And I am certified in uh, food as medicine, reversing and preventing um, chronic diseases. So anyone that needs information, reach out to me and I'll see how I can help you. Thank you for letting me speak. And I'm done speaking. With that, may I take a quick moment to tell everyone that we have a room coming up this Friday called Food is Medicine. And Luina is one of our mods. Um, So please follow us so we can notify you when this room is going. Thank you. Thank you, Chef Mimi. Um, We're on to our next speaker, uh, Loreen, I believe, uh, Alvarado. Um, What's your question? Uh, I hope I said that right. Correct me if I haven't. You you did, actually. That was great. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for letting me come up. Um, I'm I'm just curious. So I'm an artist and I turned to baking, you know, during the pandemic and I found great comfort in it. Um, and I just started making pies that for whatever reason people gravitated towards and it's, um, it's just interesting to me because I, it's the first time that I do something that I love that people appreciate very, very much. Um, but my question is, I've had some producers reach out and they have suggested I make sort of like a a mock pilot. Um, and I live in a small apartment with a small, narrow kitchen, not ideal for filming, even if it's just, uh, you know, mock style. How important is it for, um, how, do aesthetics really matter? And should I, should I like try to seek out a, a kitchen from, I don't know, like a friend's kitchen that I should try to borrow for a day um, and bake in? I'm just curious if that, if that matters or if I do it in my tiny little kitchen, uh, you know, will there be any charm in that? I'm, I don't know. I'm just, that's actually something that has, um, I can't I can't figure out on my own what, what to do with that. There could be charm in it. That is the correct word is charm. But if you don't feel comfortable, that's going to be more the problem. And, and it sounds like you're already a little bit worried about it. So I would say mm-hmm. if you can borrow a friend's kitchen and you can, um, you know, especially something bright uh, would be helpful. And I think it would be helpful because it's gonna make you more comfortable. And what you're selling is you. 
So you need to find a space and an environment where you're comfortable and it does look presentable. It, it, it helps, you know, if your kitchen at home is a hot mess or it's really too small to be effective for what you want to showcase, then you're going to be paranoid about that the whole time and not doing a good job of presenting yourself. So find that environment that you're comfortable in. See if you can get a couple of friends to help you out. It could be a fun weekend project for you and some friends to, you know, to, to help you make your little pilot of a cooking show or something to show off your pies because the stories coming out of the pandemic, I think are going to get told and people are going to be looking for them. And, you know, pandemic turned pie maker could be a great <laughs> story, but you've got to be comfortable telling that story because to start, that's where it's going to start. It's going to start with you in that moment. So find a way to have fun with it, find a way to enjoy it, find a way to showcase that passion that you found during the pandemic. And that's what's gonna help it turn into a bigger idea, regardless of whether it's your small kitchen at home or someone else's or a TV studio, you gotta make sure that you can address the passion that you have. Perfect. I, I completely you, agree with Justin. On that. Oh, sorry, Matt, you I'd, go first. I'd love to add just two quick things. Bring all your stuff, though, because if you're going to be in someone else's kitchen and you don't have yeah. your paintbrushes, that's going to mess with you just as much. And two, don't film your first pie. Literally run a rehearsal in their house. Treat them to a nice lunch. Give them the thank you pie up front so you can be completely comfortable in a foreign environment before somebody starts rolling a camera or a GoPro or a cell phone in your face. Gotcha. That's, all that's great. Thank you. Uh, one, one other thing, too, uh, if I can add, this is Bradley. Um, also, you know, don't worry about what you're saying while you're cooking. You can also, you know, you can also record, uh, you know, record yourself separately on audio and use voiceover. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it's just it, sometimes it, it, it's easier if you're just telling a story to a microphone um, I found that that to be the case, and then we kind of get the cooking later, or get the cooking silent, and then we kind of add the two things together in the end. So just a little bit of a word, but Matt, what Matt said too is also very very important. Amazing, just thank you. Guys. To jump jump back in real quick, Lorraine. Also, when you're doing it, don't forget the whys. The why you're using a certain ingredient, why you want this much sugar because you like the sweetness. Make sure you're putting in your passion for why these pies started turning out so good or the backstory of, you know, during the pandemic, I was experimenting with this and that. Don't just focus when you're doing a cooking segment on telling us how to make things. Those shows got made on PBS in the 80s. Nobody mm. wants to see that anymore. It's not instructional. Um, don't, don't be too instructional. Don't try to tell somebody else how to make your food. Try to show them why you love making the food and the passion that you're putting into it. And that will be a far more compelling segment than you just trying to teach somebody your recipe. Amazing. Thank you so much, you guys. This is awesome. I really appreciate your help. Thank you. Pandemic pies. Look out for that one in the future. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, Vivian's up next. Vivian, what's your short story in under 30 seconds or a question for the mods here? Hello, everyone. My short story, I cook for a circus. Um, just joking. Uh, I am a full-time content creator. I make uh, cooking videos on all the social media, and TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. And actually, Janelle here, the producer, she cast me on MasterChef. So I was on MasterChef. I made it to the top 36. Hi, Vivian. 
Hi, good to see you. <laughs> nice to see so, you. Yeah, and uh, after Master Chef, I start just making more cooking videos. And originally, I'm from China. I moved here. I speak. This is my second language. If, um, but I just realized a lot of people like my accent. Uh, accent uh, in my cooking video. I didn't even realize there are words. I have accent because I guess when I came here, I didn't speak much English. I learned a lot of spoken English from a TV show called Desperate Housewives. <laughs> and and so I cook a lot of Chinese food. And uh, my recent the viral videos, how to season your wok in my Chinese way. I didn't even think that uh, getting so popular, that video got 11 minutes on YouTube, but 12 minutes on TikTok. And I realized I need to create more of those content about my food and my culture. Uh, what's a real Chinese food? Um, uh, nowadays, uh, many people here in the U.S. or my fans from other countries, they don't really know about Chinese food. So in my videos, a lot of food is just uh, every day I'm cooking for my circus and my kids. Uh, such a dramatic every day. And uh, they are just pop in. Sometimes I, I don't edit out the kids in or out. So they're just in my video. Um, yeah, I'm done speaking. Um, Vivian, it's so it's so nice to hear from you. Are you um, sorry for starters? Are you are you still in um, Minnesota? Is that right? Oh yes, yes. Um, oh okay, yeah. That's what I thought. I I remembered. Um, I will say your your videos are so engaging and entertaining, and I think that probably part of that is because your kids are in it. Because like you you also edit in quite a bit of humor. Um, and, and like, you know, like <laughs> silly you. things that are just like happening around the house and that makes it so watchable. So I just want to um, applaud you on that. And, um, you know, if if you're still looking to to put yourself out there and, and have other television opportunities, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And there's there's definitely stuff going on there in um, in Minneapolis. A couple of us have have worked up there. So. Um, yeah, definitely just keep it up. Thank you. Um, because of my uh, other videos, I, I approached by a publisher, so now I'm currently working on my first cookbook. I'm excited. It's a lot of work, but I think in the end it's worth it. It'll be out this December. Thank you. Excellent. Vivian, Congratulations. I, I know this is going to sound almost like a silly suggestion, but I, I completely understand why you are on MasterChef. I can, like, you're making me smile just in telling your story. I almost want you to play the diversity card of Minnesota. Like if you want to generate more cooking content, I would love for you to see like one of your just white neighbors who knows nothing about Chinese food. Like I want to see you playing with, I want to see someone else be the fish out of water in your kitchen and you're teaching them some traditional Chinese technique or how to properly yeah. score a lock and the kids are running around in the background. Like, cause I just feel like you would have so much fun and it would also professionally, yeah. it would train that muscle in your brain of how to be a, how to be a team, how to work with somebody else, how to, you just how to be naturally funny while cooking at the same time. And I would watch it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hey, Vivian, can I piggyback off that real quick? This is Ruby. I know I popped out Ruby. the room and had dinner with my family, but I, I was I have a story that uh, goes with what Matthew said about uh, the first time I was talking to my Chinese neighbor who I moved upstairs from years ago, 
and I came home from work one day and her her house smelled so her apartment smelled so really really good and I asked her what she was cooking and she said chicken fingers I was like oh word let me get some of them chicken fingers like I'm hungry <laughs> so she says okay when they're done I'll knock on your door and then she knocks on my door later and she's she has this plate of whole chicken feet. And I was like, no, that's not what I thought we was talking about here. <laughs> it was the, like, if you did that with your neighbors, I'm sure that would be hilarious. That was the funniest <laughs> thing. I will never forget that she showed up at my plate at my place with a, a whole plate full of cooked chicken feet. Yeah, it's funny. Um, uh, things I had to learn when I moved here is the first time I asked my husband, what's the Chinese food here? I really want to try Chinese food. But we were in a small town in Minnesota at that time. Now we're near Minneapolis. So we passed by a restaurant called Li Yan Chen. He's, I said, oh, is that Chinese? He said, yes, you don't want to try this. I insist, try the food there. So we went in, had some noodles and stuff. It was very okay, I thought. And then they served us some cookies. I, I said, what is this? So first time ever, I had fortune cookies. I didn't know what it was. So he started laughing. Because I've never seen that in my life. I learned something new. Same thing happened to my parents when they came here, visit from China. I had to explain. They said, oh, this is good. Then on the way out, so they grabbed more in their pocket. <laughs> thanks for sharing. And uh, thanks for piggybacking, uh, piggybacking off that, Ruby. Uh, a nice little story to share there as well. I think we've kind of missed Carson in all this. Carson, sorry, uh, I think we might have... Uh blurted right past you. What's your 30-second uh, uh, story or question? Oh, my question. Uh, so for TV, so someone someone like me, you think of the reality TV, for example, competitive shows will, would do some more benefits for people like me about my culture or my food. Uh, what's more benefit for someone like me? Thank you. Vivian, you're just entertaining. You just have to keep doing it because you're flat out entertaining. Thank <laughs> you. I don't know that you need any advice. You just need to find a platform for it. I think we're all thoroughly entertained by you, and I think we could all see the merit in in more stuff from you. Thank you. So far, I'm making my own show on the internet. I'm watching my walk. We'll be watching your walk, all right, and um, looking forward to checking that out on, is it on your Instagram? Instagram, YouTube, I'm pretty active on YouTube too, and TikTok. Actually, I started on TikTok, then expanded to other platforms right now. And uh, I, I also do live streaming, so I'm going to invest more equipment for the YouTube live streaming because that's more, uh, the quality of a live stream on YouTube is much better. I can use my uh, bigger Canon camera. And that's recorded. People miss the live streaming can rewatch. I did one a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I didn't tend to have my kids in the live stream. By that time, they just jump in and made a lot of trouble. But people actually enjoying and watching me cooking a chaos. Like they tried to destroy the kitchen while I was cooking or eat the food. Got to defend that food from the kids. <laughs> Thanks, Vivian. Hey, guys. Thank uh, we you. Got we got Becky so up next. Becky, what's your short 30-second story or question? So I wanted to get back for you guys. Um, here's my question for you. I started during um, this last year during COVID uh, doing free online cooking classes just to give back to people during this time. I did about 200 of them online. I live streamed from Zoom onto Facebook 
And it kind of morphed into this beautiful, wonderful, like, show. And I really enjoyed doing it. And what I realized I enjoy is the the storytelling aspect and the fact that, like, it's very real. I make mistakes and I laugh and I'm a comedian at heart. And my mission is, I always call myself a mindful misfit, is kind of find a different way to incorporate mindfulness. I want to take this show idea on the road and just showcase everyday cooks in different parts of the country and the things that make their region special with food and find different unique ways of mindfulness being used all around the country. My question though is I am someone who like, I'm a live entertainer. My background is in theater and improv. And I was wondering if you think it's possible to have a larger show concept and still maintain an aspect of it being live, whether it's still like like the cooking part, because I really love teaching and cooking with people live. This is Becky, and I'm... Um, I can answer that. The answer is yes, we do it all the time, um, because we film the cooking elements more than once. Um, you know, Justin and I have done a lot of stuff together, Bradley and I just... Typically, you know, depending on what the schedule is or what the day is, whether we're filming in someone's house or a restaurant, we might invest half of the day on just having you guys improvise and cook together. And we might never film your ands or the food because you're riffing, you're having fun, there's great energy, and we don't want to miss a single moment of you guys laughing and having a good time together. And then painstakingly, the whole second half of the day, we bring in different kind of cameras and you don't have to talk anymore, but we're going to film your hands for two or three hours, making sure we get every single step of building that dish or those dishes out. And then in the edit, those two worlds seamlessly combined to be one world where it's completely improvised and fun and all over the place, yet somehow gorgeous and majestic and full of food porn. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the tricks. We do it on Food Paradise, too. We do a first pass where the chef is talking us through the dish. And a lot of times, the other thing that happens during that process is the dish doesn't look very good because they've been talking and telling us their backstory and why they chose certain ingredients and this, that, and the other thing. So then we go back and we do another one, and it's kind of the stunt pass of making sure that they don't have to talk. They can focus on just making the food, your tight shots, your slow motion, all the fun stuff. Um, it's one of the secrets of food TV. So... Be prepared to cook a lot if you're on television because you're probably going to do it two or three times and you're going to have to talk at least one of those times and, and kind of have fun with the experience. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Um, I think we've had an absolutely amazing show. It's been incredible to hear from all of the producers here today all giving their time, even from the UK, where I am based, where it's 1.42 a.m. in the early hours of the morning, but we are through uh, very much so. So looking forward to connecting uh, with everybody again in another room. I'm sure there's going to be another one after this. So thanks so much to everyone who was able to give uh, their time today. Um, over to Chef Mimi to see us out. Yes, I would like to remind you all that this room has been recorded um, by Best Serve Podcast. And Corey, who is on stage right now, is the one that has actually been recording our show. So thank you so much, Corey. Could you tell us a little bit about um, how we're going to get to hear the show later? So that's uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. That is fast. Thank you so much. Um, 
So I think we are winding down, and I have been connecting with so many people on stage that was speaking, as well as some people in the audience.、Um, I got to know so many new faces in、uh, cooking and. Influencers and、um, storytellers, and so I encourage you all to use this little time left before we close the room to connect with people.、Uh, check out their bio. We're going to give you a, a few seconds to do that before we close the room, and hopefully I'll hear from you. Please DM me and let me know how you like the room. What would you like to、um, see next time? We're definitely going to invite. Um, these top food TV giants back. Thank you so much for your generosity with your time and your expertise.、Um, any closing words from the producers here? I just want to say thanks to everyone, and、uh, you know this worked out great for me. I'm on a travel day in the middle of making Food Paradise, so I'm down in Orlando doing some more chefs tomorrow. So we're putting. Five more on TV this week, and and for the weeks and weeks and weeks to come. So there's definitely opportunities out there for lots of people to get on television, and I'm happy to be out here doing it. And、uh, I just want to thank everyone again for sharing their stories. It's you know again, it's it's always nice to hear everybody's、um, unique background, unique、um, story to tell with food,、um, personal culture, where they come from, all of that great stuff. And、um, I just hope we can do it again. Yeah, I just I, I love this room, guys. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. Thank you for sharing your stories. I kind of said the same thing last time, and I'll say it again. We had a really I think across the world, we had a really rough year the last year and a half in both of our industries. Both of our industries involve a lot of rejection,、um, but both of our industries involve a lot of people that succeed because they're passion forward. And、uh, yeah, keep kicking ass, don't lose hope. And it, you may not get the dream you're dreaming right now, but you'll get your dream. Matt is out. We have to do it again, but this next time with Scorpio cocktails. Here, here. Can arrange that. Can arrange that. Yeah. <laughs> Chef Sierra, would you like to say something? I was mostly clapping.、Uh, <laughs> I'm like, yay! This was so much fun. I'm hoping that everyone made a friend, made a new connection. And again, I appreciate everyone for their time. That's on stage. Hope to see you again. And of course, thank you to one of my good foodie friends, Chef Mimi. And Chef Rahan, they have a club called Food Is Religion, and、um, they're doing some good things over there. So check these guys out and give them a follow. And thank you guys for following my club, making it larger than I ever expected before. And I just appreciate all the love and support that people have been giving me. So thank you again, everyone. Wow, that's so generous, Chef、uh, Sierra, to give us a plug on Food Is Religion. I was afraid to plug that club under your club. <laughs> I'm so grateful that you you mentioned it. And anyone else who who is、um, interested in,、um, you know, if you have any questions or need our help in any way at all, Chef Rohan and I are all about、um, just helping anyone in need. In, you know of、uh, Forming connections or uh, uh, needing us to coach you on something, so please don't be afraid to reach out and、uh, let us know what you need. Thank you. I'm Chef Mimi, and I'm done speaking. 
So thanks a lot to everybody who was a part of the room today. We capped out at 1.1k people in the room. Um, it's great to see so many people that are actively uh, here today uh, and gaining knowledge. So thank you to the producers. I know I've certainly learned a lot here today. Looking forward to the next one as we get uh, closer to that time. I'm sure we're going to be plugging things away. So pay attention to the stories. Make sure you've connected with everyone here because in the next 10 seconds, this room uh, will be closing. So have a great evening, everyone. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe out there. And we'll connect again soon here on Clubhouse. Where we talk we to are the Food TV Network Giants yet again. Take care. We're going to count from three to one. And we're going to all say, foodie nerds. Three, two, one. Foodie nerds. Have a good night. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.